0: Welcome. Thanks for joining. I have a couple of important updates for regular listeners, so I encourage you to stick around for a minute or two as this message has changed. As usual, if you're new to Imposters Anonymous and haven't listened to the very brief intro to the podcast, I encourage you to pause and do so now. It's technically the first episode and provides some helpful context about the nature and aims of this project. For newcomers, I think this primer is pretty invaluable, especially considering how this podcast differs from most. Moving on to the new There's been some developments in how I intend for this project to exist in the world. As some of you already know, I've elected not to extend this project to any social media platforms, as they continue to present uniquely severe and confounding barriers to communicating effectively and objectively. The jury is more than out on the dangers of the double-edged sword that is social media, and though I could spend hours on this topic, and maybe will at some point, I'll save everyone the headache and simply say I've concluded that it's best for me to keep my distance altogether even if only in an attempt to prioritize my mental health. That being said, social media remains the most effective way to promote a podcast, or virtually anything for that matter. Considering that I would like this podcast to grow and reach as broad an audience as possible, the decision to abstain may prove to be foolish. But even so, it's the path I've decided to take. That being said, I believe I've found a suitable alternative which will allow for this project to grow and expand its collaborative potential without resorting to an ad-based model. I've started an Imposters Anonymous Substack, which will, in time, feature commentary on each episode, my supplemental writing and thoughts, and maybe most notably a blend of anonymously submitted art, opinions, and various offerings from fellow members of the Imposters Anonymous community. This can be found at impostersanonymous.substack.com, and there's a link in the show notes as well. Subscribing will sign you up for an ongoing newsletter and give you access to the primary content, which is, to be clear, totally free if you're unsure about whether or not you'd like to fully support this project or don't feel like it's financially feasible for you. I'd like to keep all of my content optionally free for as long as I can, but if you do derive meaningful value from Impostors Anonymous and have the means to support it, I ask that you earnestly consider doing so for the cost of a decent cup of coffee a month. The ultimate aim of this project is to create a space where individuals feel compelled to overcome their insecurities and inhibitions entangled with their identity so that they can more truthfully share themselves with the world and I hope that resonates with enough people that I can garner the necessary support to continue to be able to make this happen, in lieu of growing costs and time requirements. Of course, I'd love to be able to spend the better part of my days engrossed in this project, and continue to deliver higher quality, more thought-provoking content to my audience. And in time, I'd even like to be able to pay out the brave imposters who submit their work. But as I've said before, this project will only go as far as the audience takes it, and that's quite exciting, while also a bit terrifying. As a final note on this front, I know that due to the ubiquitous influence and spread of social media, YouTube, and Google, we've all grown accustomed to receiving the majority of our daily content for free. Though recent developments like The Social Dilemma are starting to raise the societal awareness of the hidden cost built into a business model where the perceived customers are in fact the product, we're still left with a media landscape that isn't conducive to electively supporting the strain of content that reflects the sort of world we'd like to live in. That being said, most of us are totally on board with opting into Spotify or Netflix for the ad-free value they bring to our lives, regardless of how we feel about the aims of these organizations or the opportunity to actually be a stakeholder in the content they produce. And to be honest, I think it's quite the bargain considering what these companies offer. I simply ask that if the nature of this project compels you and you derive meaningful value from these conversations, you consider subscribing and contributing to the project, regardless of whether or not you choose to support financially. I believe we all have hidden projects, recordings, notebook doodles, opinions, poems, and all things of the sort, and for every reason from a bit of shyness to utter self-hatred, we've talked ourselves out of sharing them with the world. In short, I'd be honored to help you take that leap. No strings attached. Your perspective is valuable. I truly believe that. And on that note, I hope you enjoy this episode, and thanks for giving this a shot
1: you don't know how lucky you are being a monkey.
2: The past is just a story we tell ourselves. I am
1: the smartest man alive! How do we know if uh, we're in control?
0: Josh, Kevin, thanks for doing this. How Thank are you, you.
1: Great, man. Yeah, good to see you guys. Yeah, I'm great too. I'm great too, Brandon and Josh. Good to be here. Good to be back. Yeah, I'm always, good to be back.
0: <laughs> always, yeah. Y'all, y'all, my first repeats, so so it's it's good to have you. And uh, I think there's there's an interesting synergy here, so we'll we'll see what we can get into.
2: Yeah, maybe we can. Uh go back to the forest someday <laughs> to start off with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess for those of you who don't know, Josh was, uh, Josh was in on that original conversation of the forest that we so often referenced in, in Kevin and I's conversation a few episodes ago. So everybody's in on it, man. Y'all gotta go out to the forest. I went to the forest, uh, this weekend, actually, uh, yesterday. I had a nice time, you know, it was, was super finally- wet like muddy. Uh, no, it wasn't bad actually. Uh, I guess where Josh and I are, there's it's it's been a rough week weather-wise. It's just been shitty, cold, wet. Uh, we just finally got some sunshine this weekend. So yeah,
1: but you guys still have power and water. Oh, so yeah. no,
0: no actual problems, just just petty first world stuff. But North um,
1: Carolinians are very,
2: um, I'd say, famous for. Any sign of cold weather or precipitation, shelves are empty, world's going to end, power like Jackie was saying, like her coworkers <laughs> like, yeah, like, get ready for power lines to fall down, like, I was like, what, because it's going to get cold and, like, maybe rain a little bit? Like, just don't go drive if you're scared. It'll be okay. You got real problems out in Texas so. and <laughs>
1: stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for real. Texas is whacked out right now. And one thing I learned from COVID is, uh, yeah, toilet paper is a precious resource.
0: Oh, absolutely. Paper towels, impossible. but yeah, uh, it was, it was honestly pretty nice. I mean, it was, you know, a a little bit damp, but ultimately it was, it was not bad. It just felt good to get out there. And uh, my mother-in-law's got, got some property out in kind of a more rural area. She lives on a farm. So there's like some woods behind her house and you can kind of just go out there and, and stroll and just have no path, no aim just, just get out there with the dogs, and it's uh, so refreshing, you know. Just to be able to to get an open space and just enjoy it. Just be out there, no phones, nothing. Uh, so I, I've, I've got no complaints. I'm feeling good.
1: The weather's been great, at least here in Florida, anyway.
0: Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> you, yeah. N- yeah. No complaints there. I'm sure it's pretty much pretty much always nice there, right? I mean,
1: always. I, you guys, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, but when they had the map of the snowstorm and everything everything was like you know ice cold florida was like 86 oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's nice i'll be yeah, out there well.
2: in three months a little yeah. over three months yeah, yeah. Waiting for I'm, I'm ready <laughs> especially after this cold ass weather but it's it makes it's funny it's just migrating further south every 15 years it seems like
0: <laughs> right you're gonna end up in uh guatemala argentina (laughs) just keep moving down yeah we'll see (laughs) uh did y'all i was just thinking about it did either of y'all by chance see any of the uh perseverance landing a couple days ago
2: yes i saw some photos i i actually tuned into the live um Mm -hmm. on youtube but they were it wasn't time yet so i just i was i was i had to run so i just saw some photos it looked cool Mm. you
0: saw it kev
1: I, yeah, I saw a video and a little breakdown of kind of like their operation and yeah, another amazing and successful mission. I think definitely a step forward um, because in, I think Neil deGrasse Tyson put it in perspective for me on Twitter. Right, uh, he's like, "We just landed a piece of technology on Mars that's 120 million miles away." Uh, and I think it's like either negative twenty or negative one hundred degrees Celsius in Mars. Yet uh, it's too cold to even have power running water in Texas. Like right. we have, made, we we can we can launch a piece of technology a hundred twenty million miles away and withstand negative one hundred degree weather, but we can't even take care of uh, the the technology that we have uh, to power our homes and and people in Texas. Uh, in this, in one, in the same mm-hmm. country, and I think the point there that he was trying to make is in Neil deGrasse Tyson's world, you know, we should have for those type of issues, we should have uh, scientists running them, not politicians. That mm-hmm. um, think that's the argument he was trying to make, at least for when it comes to the technology and, and how it's applied uh, in cities and to people.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I mean it's a it's a definitely an interesting comparison. It's it's terrible what's happening out there in Texas, and it's it's strange just to see. The disparity there as far as what we are capable of and what we often settle for or grow accustomed to just like a society as a whole, we're clearly we're capable of so much, right? I mean, we, as you said, we, we, we sent a, a robot hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions of miles. I guess it's only 120 away, but the course was, I think 300 million, um, 50,000 miles an hour, totally autonomous entry, descent and landing. It's science fiction shit. you know it's it's stuff that's that's utterly incredible uh, and almost unfathomable to the average person. but then there's just this huge gap between that and the very kind of simple and rudimentary problems that we see ourselves facing on a day-to-day life on a day-to-day basis that it's it's this weird contrast where it's like how how are we not doing better on on these fronts when we clearly are capable of so much as a species?
2: Kevin, you mentioned the political piece of that. And that's what, I mean, I think uh, Brandon, you and Jackie talked about my, my ignorance to politics until about a year ago where I've just taken a deep dive and the little digging I've done into the Texas situation. You know, I have a bunch of friends out there that had to go to like other people's houses because just, they just, the photos were just like, everything was iced over and like no running water. One of them's a chef and he's like, I, I can't do anything. They're telling us to boil water. We can't even boil water because nothing's working. But from the little understanding I have, it's, and I want to ask you guys um, your understanding of this. But like Texas is like electrical grid is completely different to the rest of the states or something like that. And then also there was like some situation where they could have upgraded some monitor or some piece of equipment for all these things that broke down. Mm. That would have been like maybe fifty or five hundred thousand. I forget what the actual number was. Similar to like that BP oil spill issue, where mm. it's like you could have invested this to to like prevent this from happening but like the, this side or that side said, no, we don't believe in this or like that. So like, now we're dealing with that. Like, is that, is that the correct understanding
1: you guys have? Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's how I understand it. Um, and then that goes, I think to to his point, it's sometimes the scientific answer is obvious, but because there's so many people and stakeholders in place and how you want to use your money. And really at the end of the day, what matters to politicians is to get re-elected because that's where they're there for, right? Your job yeah. is to get re-elected pretty much. And so a lot of the things they might just be optics. They could have solved the issue but at the time another issue was more obviously on top of the priority and so they don't they don't solve it. And I think I, I went to I went to Ted Cruz's Twitter page right immediately after. Uh, and we all know what AOC is doing to that. Uh, and But she's she's raised millions of dollars to help people in Texas and I mean AOC is great. Um, I still think it's In my opinion, I don't know too much about it, but it it feels like a political move, uh, you know, to really stick it to Ted. So I went to Ted's Twitter page, see what he was doing. He posted up an article from Forbes uh, saying about the dangers of over-electrifying, which is, I think, what you're talking about, how Texas does their power Mm -hmm. grid a little different. Um, And it just speaks to Ted's, so Ted Cruz's, in my opinion, like conservative view of things. So when you're uh, a, a person that's supposed to be representing less government and and freedom to the people, which I do support. Oftentimes, the argument that they'll make is uh, they'll justify not doing anything as a reason for a government not stepping in and interfering in people's lives, mm-hmm. right? And so, so, a lot of those issues don't get solved because it feels like okay, the government's not stepping in and changing our life, they're letting us do what we want to do. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're really solving the issues. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think I saw something too, like how, like to what you just said, he's also now trying to get funding for different things, but they're like, well, you don't want to be a part of this collective yet. You want us to help you, which we are glad to do, but it's like, come on, like be with us or not like it's like you can't like you can't like right. sleep with us and then go over there and sleep with them and expect us to like hang out still you know what I, mean? I mean like unless you're into that but um <laughs> so maybe that was a bad analogy because my perspective free, free yeah. love. <laughs> but like that's what i was getting at like my understanding of like this electrical grid like they don't want to be a part of like the you know collective united states mm. minus them but then they they want help
1: and it's like but well, that doesn't really make sense like be a part mm. of it or not exactly that's the contradiction. Now they have he has his own thing that he wants to be pushing, but then there's the facts of real science. <laughs> so you have to at some point he does have need they need help. I mean, yeah. they're struggling, but he has to appease his people, wherever that may be. You know, Republican or, or Democratic, mm-hmm. they both do the same. Yeah. thing. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those. It really, I guess, kind of puts a puts a focus on the issue of how these nonpartisan issues are just starting to vanish that I feel like historically there's a lot of different spaces where it was like, okay, this is this is totally nonpartisan. like there's bipartisan support for this. We can come together. we can agree on these obvious things. but it's unfortunate that so much of those or so many of those spaces are just starting to fall away that it seems like everything is now politicized. everything has some sort of a, of a hot take on it, or some sort of an angle, uh, some sort of an ulterior motive that we can't even do simple things like make sure that a, that a state has power. And not to be reductive, because I'm sure the issue itself is more complicated, and I don't understand it fully, but it just seems like even in these situations, like when tragedy strikes or when there's natural disaster, simple things like that, you would think we could just come together and say, let's put this all aside. Let's just do what needs to be done here um but it just seems like that's becoming less and less of a of a reasonable
1: ask uh, yeah and one so there's partisan issues uh from our decision makers right people that make the laws and legislation there's a widening gap between the left and the right but then to make exa- to exacerbate the problem there's also a wealth gap issue that's getting wider yeah. and wider so it's like as resources are getting unevenly pulled so is our decision-making. And it kind of begs the question, like, if something really happens, can we even, like, come up with an answer together? You know, like something that really requires a real hard solving. Mm-hmm. I think it's an issue. Well,
2: I think it's what we were talking about earlier before we were, you know, on, on air, so to speak, is the, the fact that people just want to be heard but how many people are actually trying to understand the other side before trying to be heard. And Mm. I'm a firm believer now of uh, reading that book I mentioned earlier and like grasping that concept. It's like, and I think you guys were talking about this on your episode, Kevin, like trying to understand people, like ask questions, like not just like blurt out everything. And I I've seen that in my past, like feeling some kind of baggage on my end, this unconsciously makes me just want to dump out everything in my mind. Mm. Really I just want to be heard. But now it's like, all right, well, at the end of the day, whether whatever side you're on, let's first understand where we're coming from, what we're trying to accomplish. And I know for a fact that because we're all human beings, we all at the fundamental core want the same thing, whether it's for our side of people or their side of people or for everyone. So we can start there, find common ground. Then I feel like we could like come together on things. But there's, like you said, it's so polarized now and like the disconnect of information and then people's own experiences and how their identities built into these equations just confuses Mm -hmm. the shit out of everything. And then it's like, oh, if you agree with that, you must be this or you disagree with that, you must be that. And I can't communicate with you because you just don't understand me. Not the fact that we're not trying to understand one another. We're just saying things and probably just using talking points without really understanding what's going on.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah for real that's such a huge issue i think it's like people's like it's easier just to have this simplistic absolute compin- opinion on somebody based on one or two things like it's easier to digest that and because and i think it's because the internet a little bit uh there's so much things getting thrown at us like you stress at work you got to pay bills your wife is cheating on you you know your kids has f in class you know and like I don't know. You know, you ordered a pizza and now it doesn't have mushrooms on it and you're pissed. You know, like you don't really want to like all that. The humans are complicated and all these stories do matter. They sum up to some type of net result. And people are getting so much information thrown at them that the only way that they can look at the world and for it to make sense is just to have absolutes. Just left or right. Uh, No gray in the middle. But humans are complicated. I mean, there's... A bunch of gray in the middle. Uh, shout out to Gray Matters. Yeah.
2: I mean, you know me, I'm a big believer of context in the gray area. And I think that that's, you know, one of the biggest pieces that you, you guys actually mentioned this quite a bit, or you spoke to this point for quite a while. It's like looking at information that challenges your beliefs. Majority of us won't do that because that's uncomfortable. And we then unconsciously find all of these things in our reality to affirm our beliefs to ourselves. We're not maybe aware of it. That's the unconscious mind. But then you add social media into it where there's AI involved that are specifically trying to do that to you. And then, like you said, there wasn't mushrooms on my pizza. This person's saying this. And like you're seeing this. And like that person's living a life I want to live. And I'm not good enough. And like all this shit. And it's like, fuck you. You're going to oppose my opinion? Like, I'm not even want, i do not going to listen to you. You don't even know. Like you're just on the left or the right, whatever. Like it's like, what?
0: Right.
2: <laughs> That's
1: what it boils yeah. down to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: I feel like these days, just especially because of what, you know, this last 12 months has looked like, I feel like most of the time we're meeting everybody like at nine, right? Like on a on a 10 point scale, if you will, that it's it's not even necessarily always about what is happening in the moment or what the actual issue is or what the argument's about that everybody has for what y'all just spoke to. There's there's so many compounding variables that are are frustrating people and why people are dissatisfied. That all it takes is just that final thing, whatever it is that people are just, you know, they're kind of on a hair trigger right now. And I think keeping that in mind is helpful, just to like maintain sanity when someone just blows up on you, or you just see something happen. You're just like that. That did not seem proportionate to what to what is happening, or what <laughs> what I said. But a lot of times, it's just you, you never know what anybody's dealing with, or what they're going on, or whether cause if they're at one and they jump up there, then something's really going on. But if they were already at nine, it it could have been anything, you know, a, a fly could have flew in their ear and they would have they would have responded the same way. Um, but it's it's just one of those things that's it's very hard to to understand or to empathize when you don't know what other people are are dealing with. But I did want to jump back to just one thing because it's something I've kind of been thinking about and I don't really have a great answer for it. But Josh, you kind of brought up how, or at least spoke to how sometimes it's part of the problem that individuals don't put other information or put information in front of them that, that challenges them or they don't really consider the other side of things. But at the same time, even just kind of audit us right here, why Why are we having this conversation, right? Is it, is it not because we feel like we are somewhat quote unquote like minded people, or that we have kind of a a similar view on life. And is that is that bad? Is that dangerous to that kind of natural attraction that you have to people that view things similarly? I'm just curious how y'all kind of think about that, because it's always something I'm a little bit on the fence about. Yeah, I mean,
2: I think you can go either way with these things. And that's why I love having these types of conversations with these types of people meaning us because i don't think either one of us is trying to solidify belief i see us and the reason i'm interested in having these conversations cuz we're all trying to expand and like that is an interesting point to us having interest in psychedelics or meditation or consciousness like trying to dissolve as much as we can our ego that's trying to protect us and like hold on to our beliefs and just see what's out there and so i mean at the end of the day I'm a firm believer that there's no meaning to life. I think I don't think there's good, I don't think there's bad. I think we're human beings so we label things and we say this has value to me, this has meaning to me. This happens so we give meaning to it because that's how human beings are wired. And this is why I've been really interested in studying Buddhism lately because in Buddhism there's they don't believe in meaning. It's just it's it just it is. It is. You, you can you can give any meaning you want to anything. And then getting into the world of neuro-linguistic programming, I mean like because you give meaning to this That puts a filter on how everything in your life is seen through your eyes and your internal representation of the world So I don't think it's bad to have conversations with like-minded people as long as you're aware of what the intention is And Mm. you're not trying to find people that are affirming your beliefs rather than how I see us is We're always trying to challenge ourselves and grow and challenge our partners challenge ourselves like as friends Mm. and just listening to you and Kevin speak on Kevin, your episode, there was a lot of things that you said in a different way that I haven't seen it before. And I was like, Oh, like, that's all right, I like that. That, that that's interesting because that challenges the belief I had or an opinion I had. And so I think it it just comes down to like how aware you are of a situation because you can easily find someone that's saying all the right things and you're not aware of it. And you're like, yeah, like, fuck. Yeah. I believe that too. And mm-hmm. then we get to these surface level connections, and then we're like, oh man, like I actually don't know if you and I are a good match because I don't think we're speaking the same language. Because it w- there were so many things on the surface that felt good, and now you just said something because of. Uh, and this goes back to the point we were just talking about, like political standpoints. We're mm-hmm. all carrying on some kind of baggage, and when that baggage is challenged, that doesn't feel good. That's not safe, and that's that's mm-hmm. I don't know. We can't do that. So then we don't want to look at, you know, why am I being triggered this way? Why am I reacting this way? And that's why I love having these conversations with the two of you and other people, you know, that share a similar perspective on life is because we're not trying to like suffocate our belief systems, our paradigm, if you will, which we see the world. We're trying to share different perspectives, maybe share different knowledge and different ways of thinking and living. And I think that's really important to be able to grow. Cause I feel safe with the fact that I could say something and you guys be like, no, fuck that. And I could be <laughs> like, all right, why you be like, well, because did you see this or what about this? Or like I had a different experience. I'm like, oh fuck. All right. I didn't think of it that way. All right, cool. Mm-hmm. Because as challenging that is, you know, I, actually Jackie and I just had a um, experience the other day where I, I, in my mind, I was like, oh, Bro, this is your fucking ego trying to hang on to the statement you just made. And you know you fucked up, but it feels better to hang on to this rather than admit it. And I've, mm. I eventually admitted I was wrong. I had, <laughs> I thought your best interest, but it was self-serving. And it's okay. You know, we talked it out. We grew. And I think that that's why I enjoy these conversations because I find that that's the same environment. Mm. I'm sure that was the easy conversation with Jackie. <laughs> yeah, those are always <laughs> fun. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about it. Away, I, I get it. like a foot upside of my head. I <laughs> uh,
1: love Jack. Uh, yeah, I kind of agree more with Josh. And you know, the way I look at it too, it's um, I don't really look too deep into it. I think that um, if you get a, a good group of people that are just after the truth, um, if you get a good group of people that done maybe one or two things before and they understand what it takes to do something hard, you understand that you're just human. And you're, inna- you're innately flawed. I mean, people, we're here together. It's better as a group. And so some people like to cement these uh, principles that they've discovered. Maybe you tried it one time and it worked and you're like, okay, this is life and everything outside of this deviates from this whole line of thought mm-hmm. that I have. Uh, but some people uh, like, like us tonight uh, love to challenge that belief because we don't when we learn something, we don't automatically assign it as a fact. Actually, when I learn something, I say, okay, I, I think I understand this. How can I be wrong? You know, I'm actively looking to see how, how right or wrong it mm. is. Uh, act, and I'm opening, I'm open, my mind is open to the fact that, you know, I'm flawed too. And maybe I had it wrong. And maybe what Josh said makes more sense than what I said. And, you, know, you know, I'm a douchebag or whatever it is. But um, I think that People love just to have opinions. At the end of the day, it feels good just to say something, uh, regardless if it's right or wrong. Uh, not everybody's after the truth.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean that's a that's a good point, and I think it's it's something that I guess is to some degree in our nature to like it. It does feel good to be around people who affirm whatever it is that you're that you're putting off, and there's even that kind of, I guess, conventional wisdom or advice of like, find your tribe, right? That, that's that's something that people say. And there's something very human about that, that you just want to be around people that, that love and accept you and that uh, there's a certain degree of, you know, y- you just mesh. But at the same time, I was kind of meditating on this the other day that an important word is in there and that's that's tribe. And it doesn't necessarily have a fundamentally negative, I guess it has both a negative and a positive connotation, but of course we identify tribalism as something that is now bad. So it's, it's something that just gets very complicated where it's, we want that, you know, we want to be able to, as Kevin and I maybe spoke to in the past, we want to be able to sit around the fire as this very human experience of, of having some sort of, you know, shared Shared truth and and shared camaraderie that we we have together, but at the same time, there's just that need to always kind of question and to always kind of flip it on its head, and to always ask why and to not be afraid to bring up something, as we spoke to a little bit before, to to say something unpopular or to to question someone when you might otherwise just kind of laugh and shake your head and say. Yeah, that, that seems about right. It's not worth starting a conflict over, but just being willing to to pressure each other a little bit and to to not let not let your friends and the people that you care about uh, get away with things that you feel like makes them or, or those around them uh, settle for less than the truth.
2: Yeah, and to your original question, speak like adding to that. If you think about it, where we're energy, we're emotional beings in a physical body. And so when you find your quote unquote tribe, if you're not aware of your energy, of your emotional state, your baggage, your your mind, like if you're not aware of those things, it could feel good being over here. But let's say you're in a victim mindset, the world's happening to you, and you find people that are just complaining and suffering. We know that we're going to thrive on a cellular level because it all feels good. It feels, yes, you understand. We're just going to sit in our shit and we're going to magnify it. And it just feels good to be heard. You know what I'm going through and that just feels comfortable. And then when someone comes and challenges that, oh, fuck you. You don't know, even though they have your best interest, that's, that's not familiar to the body, but our emotions, the language of the body, tell us otherwise, and it triggers our mind to think how we feel. And so I think. Your question, there is no right or wrong. It depends on what you want. Depends on the intention of that connection, whether it's a group of people called our tribe, one other person, or it's even yourself. Being aware of where you are, the ins and the outs of who you are, your mind, your physical body, your emotional body, your spiritual self, and who you're surrounding yourself with, it could be a beautiful thing that could lead to growth, love, prosperity, abundance, all these things, or it could lead to the complete opposite And you're going to continue asking yourself, why are you seeing the same shit, even though you want more? Because we know what we focus on expands, but unless you're aware of it, you have no idea. So to your original question, I have the same answer, but I just want to elaborate on it because I think that's an important thing that only the last few years has become very evident to me is the emotions that are attached to our identity. That's going to dictate how we, they're like filters. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why I think we all, you know, kind of thrive together is because we've been through some shit. We've overcome things. Everyone has. But the perspective we have is awareness to the fact that we've overcome things. And that's what put us on this path of wanting to continue to grow because we're not worried about being comfortable in the moment. We're not defined by our circumstances. We're defined on the vision we're working towards. And that is not going to be comfortable. But I think, Kevin, you said it in your episode, like getting comfortable with being uncomfortable because that leads to growth we don't want to be stagnant because that means we're not living. And there's, I always revert back to hip hop and lyrics and logic has a, and uh, um, one of like the interludes of in one of the songs, like there's an exponentially different um, difference between living and being alive. And I think that that's something really interesting to take into perspective when you're collecting your ideas around who you're around and where you're going and what you're doing.
1: Yeah. And uh, another lyric, I actually forgot who said it, but it popped into my head. Now, some people are busy trying not to die and not living. Yeah, you know that's two different things. You can spend your whole day worrying about what might happen, what might not happen, and you're not gonna leave your house anymore because this or that. But there's out here. There's also people out here that are really actively just trying to live their life and not worried about that. And then, I think that um, uh, Josh, you said something too that kind of sparked in my in my brain where people are blaming outside forces. Like that's so typical of. Uh, somebody who doesn't have that I believe in extreme ownership right when something's not going right in my life I don't blame an institution I don't blame my parents I don't blame my brother uh, I don't look to answers uh, from any boss or any executive or any company or anybody Uh, I always ask the question uh, am I doing the things that uh, the actions that lead to the results that I want Uh, it starts with me my successes and my failures are both my successes and my failures, not something that's a reflect. I don't look at the society or for somebody else to tell me what, what to do, right? And I think that's the issue. Like, when somebody has, they belong to this tribe or an echo chamber, maybe, um, and something goes wrong, the first thing that they're going to do, this is the reason they have a tribe, right? So that they can consolidate their power and say, it's China's fault. It's the UK's fault. It's Africa's fault. It's Australia's fault. Somebody else's fault. I mean, that's, I mean, I don't want to take it too politically, but make America great. Again, America first, uh, Trump's line. Uh, It's about saying, hey, this is our tribe. And all the griefs that we're experiencing is actually China uh, and all the taxes they've been having on all our goods. It's actually the UK and Brexit and all the changes that they've been doing. You know, let's go America first and there's some there's some there's some value in that too but what it does it's like everything that's wrong is their fault and they're the problem uh that's when you go in down the wrong path i think more people need uh that self confidence to uh you know just be honest with themselves first of all forgive themselves for their past and be ready to create a new in the future yeah uh, but that's uncomfortable mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah i mean it's a it... they oh there you go <laughs> it's a
2: What's that C C's cause greater than, than effect. Now. So are you at cause for your life or are you at effect to your circumstances and your experiences? It's the equation to empowerment in my eyes. Mm. So yeah, when you blame anything but yourself for good or bad, you're a victim. You can't get anywhere with that mentality, but if you take extreme ownership, then you understand you're the problem. Immediately you have to accept that you're the solution. But that's not easy because it's easier
1: to blame outside forces, as you mentioned. Mm.
0: Yeah.
1: Exactly. And then, the, but that's the only way true change can come, right? Because you can't expect somebody to change if you don't even have the resolve, the power to change yourself first.
0: Yeah. You got to want to do like, it. how yeah. do
1: you do that? Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think even looking at it from a, from a strictly practical perspective that I like to try to focus on what, what serves the individual, whenever you're trying to to make a decision or decide how to move forward. And though it's, it's not as though in life, there are no exterior influences. It's not like there, it's not like there's things that, it's not like we have a total control of, of the outcomes of our life or everything that goes on around us, but there's really nothing to be gained if we focus on the external, right? It's, it's, the only thing that we actually can impact is our internal state, and even though there are, are frustrations and there are circumstances in life that there's there's little to be done about, and there's there's plenty of reasons to to have frustration with that. But at the end of the day, the only thing that really does serve the individual is this is this mindset y'all are kind of speaking to of of just owning what you can and focusing on what you you do have control over. And of course there's there's a flip side to that, right? And I think sometimes people can can potentially take that too far where an individual might get into kind of a, a destructive thought loop about how everything is their fault and it could well, impact an right individual's there. self-worth. The word fault. Oh, go ahead.
2: The word fault, like that's there's a difference you're not at fault or you're not to blame to anything outside of, of your being. I mm-hmm. think that's the the tricky piece. People, whenever I share this concept of empowerment, I always get people that say that like there's one or two. And that's the thing. It's not about blaming anyone. It's not about being at fault for anything. It's about being at cause for how you respond to your life. And I always use my, you know, my biased uh, experience in this world with, with a brain tumor to say, I didn't ask for that. But I've leveraged it. That's why I believe I am where I am today. I could have taken the victim route and been like, oh, like, you know, this sucks. Life happens to me. But I think that's, you I know, mean, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like, I think that's a very fundamental difference in this perspective of being empowered and accepting your reality subjectively, your subjective reality you're at cause for. It doesn't mean you're to blame or you're at fault for things happening to you. Because i always get those, what about an old person that's walking down the street and someone hits them, like, and runs away? I'm like, they didn't ask for that. Like, they couldn't control. Like, that's the thing, too. We have to detach ourselves from control. We can't control anything. We can control our mind. But then you got me on Sam Harris, and he put out a video. Like, <laughs> is there willpower? Is yeah. there free will? Is there choice? Like, or not is there free will and choice? And it's like, do you really have a choice? Because the outside world is always influencing you one way. We take in two million bits of information a second through our senses. Mm-hmm. Consciously, that's 126. It's still two. So do you really think you have a choice? Mm -hmm. We like to say we do, but I think that's the big piece. It's not about blaming anyone or yourself. It's not being at fault. It's being at cause because you can, you can respond rather than react. And I think that's a big fundamental shift. If people can understand the outside world is, is not anything you can control. You're not to blame. You're not at fault, but you are at cause meaning you choose how you move forward with how you see that
1: perception and how you choose to move forward. Right. Yo, Josh, um, I think you could speak to this better than anybody. Like it's in my mind. and I think it's a problem that if you're alive, I think you experience this problem and it's death, right? Um, not everybody has to face their mortality like you did. Uh, I try to think about it sometimes, but it just stresses me out. (laughs) How did you face (laughs) – I can't do it. How did you face uh, your mortality, man, when your time came? Um, You know, if you can speak to that a little bit.
2: I I think reflecting on it now, it was easier then. I was 21, but because I was in my dream, like I was literally living everything I dreamt of for like 10 years, you know, as a a 12-year-old. And that is what kept me going. It was the vision that simply put as I can, it, it, it was, I wasn't going to allow the circumstance I was going through to define how I moved forward. Cause in my mind, the surgeon told me you're going to die regardless, or you have a shot if you have the surgery. I was like, all right, well, it's <laughs> a no brainer to me. I want to stay alive and see what this life's like. And so I just focused on what I wanted <laughs> to be true. Not what if I don't wake up, what am I going to do when I wake up? It was always when, not if, it was when. And it was just focusing on my dream that I was living. And I think that that's what's allowed me to kind of look at life and to say things like, that's why I look up to Jim Carrey so much and his language is like, "I don't, I don't really believe there's a meaning in life. I think it's fucking crazy that we're having this conversation as human beings. And as easy as that is to say right now, living as a human being, the events are we're like hum- we have emotions, we have thoughts, like we're complicated. So it's not always easy to be like, Oh, yeah, you know, I broke a leg or I, like, you know, I just had a bad business deal. Like, I'm not going to feel any kind of way, like, no, you're going to like, but in those moments, it, it, it I feel like it's, it's easier for me to say, because I went through it, it was easier for me than people around me. Like my parents, I don't know mm-hmm. how they went through that. But for me going through it, I was like, I just treated like an injury. I was like, all right, well, what do I gotta do, doc? You know, tell when can I get back in my bike? That's all I was worried about. But then three years later, I flatlined at a contest and woke up in an ambulance. And, you know, that was a very <laughs> different experience. But I think that's also what led me down the path of I, I even believe meeting the two of you. Um, Brandon and I met at a float tank <laughs> place of all places, <laughs> but like our experiences Mm led us down that interest of that you know route of this and that and i think that that's what's allowed me to audit different aspects of my being especially my mind and what you know got me into meditation and self-reflection and then the missing piece that you know as far as a tool that i wasn't aware of was the psychedelic piece and like really seeing what life's like without this ego without this identity veil that i wear every day and call josh um Mm -hmm. and so you know back to your original question you know i just uh it's hard to explain because i went through it and it just it there was no choice it was like this has to be it i just let's look at this way and it just allowed me to have a unique perspective on life that I can confidently say, like, I'm not afraid to die because I've, (laughs) I've flatlined and come back. I've gone through the processes. Like I went, I literally said bye to everyone that I loved most. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to wake up. I want to, that's what I'm focused on, but I may not. And I don't know Mm -hmm. what that was like if I never woke up because I was out. And that's the same thing that I've, you know, um, I've told both of you recently with my, you know, first, um, Dimethyltryptamine experience. So it's just like there was a moment <laughs> where I was like, wait a minute, where's my body? Like, oh shit. Okay. <laughs> and then okay, we're good. You know, but like I want to see what's beyond that. Like, you know, so I think that's just um, you know, unique experiences lead to unique perspectives. And that's why I live having these conversations. That's why I share all the deep, intimate shit of my life, because I I don't care. Like, not that I don't care, like in the negative context, but like I have nothing to like hold on to like it's not mine like i just i want to share it
1: you know Mm. so in a weird way i was going to ask you if you're afraid to that but you answered it in a weird way does it free you up to do whatever you want to do now or how to change your life after that when you woke up you saw your family like oh shit okay uh game's not over so that was 11 years ago it's
2: taken me 11 years to be in this point of like i'd say starting to finally step into like my true authentic self and be confident and it, it makes it easier to move past the human experience of being afraid of things. That's that's always on my mind. It's like, okay, you're afraid. Like I'm 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 from more times than not, I'm I'm aware that like I mean it's my tattoo. Fears is a thought, thoughts we change. Like it, that fear is just an emotion that comes from a thought triggering chemical responses. And like I'm a human being, so it manipulates my physical body. Like that's always going through my mind. So it's like whether it's like, you know, when I got into public speaking three years ago and like my first talk I gave in front of thousands of people, and I'm like, oh fuck, like this is scary as shit, like I'm anxious, like all these all these things. And I'm like, just just fucking do it. Like it, you nothing's gonna happen. You know, I push through it. It makes those things easier. It doesn't dismiss the uncomfortableness. It just makes it easier to get rid of judgment. It still have judgment. I'm still, you know have my insecurities, but it makes it easier to push past it. Because again, I don't believe that it's just like this one life and then I'm going to go to heaven or hell, like, or it's just this one life and that's it. I'm going to die. And like, I think that we're, you know, um, as cliche as it may sound, we're all part of the same energy source and this life may be one of many Buddhism says that you can come back in six different elements of life, you could be a human experience and go on and on, or you can go down and like there's, there's various different aspects. And so I think it's just. It's given me a unique perspective that I'm extremely grateful because if I hadn't gone through that and then all the other events that have trickled down from it, I don't think I'd be on this, this call with you guys. I don't think I'd have the mm. mindset. I, I think I'd be, maybe I'd be dead. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'd be miserable, but mm. I enjoy, I actually just said this the other day. I was like, and I caught myself. I said, like, literally said uh, out loud to Jackie, I was like, fuck, like I love my life. Like this, it's really cool being me. And then like instantly I was like, is that a shitty thing to say? Am I a douchebag for saying that? I was like, no, fuck that. Like that, like I love my life. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think Mm -hmm. enough people say that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to maybe just add on to that a little bit. Uh, something that kind of reminded me, uh, I guess I actually have a question as well that I don't want to forget. So I'll come back to it. But, uh, yeah, I remember having kind of a, a similar experience after a, uh, psychedelic, journey, if you will, that went in a direction to be totally transparent that I didn't really expect and wasn't necessarily, uh, let's just say, an overwhelmingly positive experience. So I, I faced some challenges that I didn't foresee and some things came up that I probably wasn't totally prepared for. But I remember in that moment, or at least kind of as I was coming out of it, having a thought that I'd never really had before. And it's not that I was ever like largely dissatisfied with my life or that I would consider myself an unhappy person by any stretch, but that I remember just thinking like, I, I really like my life. Like I really want to get back to that. And it was just kind of a simple thought that, that I thought about for a really long time. And I always felt like previous psychedelic experiences, it was this very interesting uh, I guess, break from or step outside of my normal life. And it's not like I was ever dreading coming back to that or trying to escape. But for the first time, I just kind of realized that and was like, yeah, like I, I wouldn't wanna I wouldn't want to risk this for the world. Like I wouldn't I really love where I am and, and what I have around me. And what my life is like right now for for whatever that's worth, not that I was in this special place, but I just remember having that kind of similar thought that you just shared and wondering what that meant for me or, and kind of questioning it. But it was just a, it was a really significant moment for me in my life to, to have that little pullback and, and realize that, that I was just, I wouldn't trade it for the world where I am
2: yeah i think it's a beautiful moment and i'm really reflecting on it now it's frustrating that i would i would label this as my ego was like no you're not allowed to say that because that means you're cocky and that you're this or that like and that like it's everything that's wrong like from societal standpoints because like if you go tell a stranger like my life's awesome like I love it like it's cool being me they'd be like fuck off like you know what I mean so it's like (laughs) what you just yeah Yeah. exactly you know um and and that's a shame but it's also awesome to have that experience once or first that you just shared Brandon like I think that's a beautiful experience that I hope everyone gets to experience at some point in their life to just say like I love being me. Like, life's awesome. Like, it's it's an amazing thing to be a human being. Um, I, I think that that's, that's something that's really cool. But then, this, you know, on the flip side, it's just, like, it's unfortunate that, like, where we are in society, it's, like, saying things like that is wrong. Like, not, not fact, but, like, that's, quote, unquote, wrong to to mm-hmm. say that. And, um, yeah, it's just, like, interesting now because I'm, like, man, like, mm-hmm. the visceral response I had when I said that in that moment in a positive light was just, like, to feel energy through your body when you're in a moment where you're just completely just like bliss. It's the only word I can put it. And then Mm -hmm. you instantly snap out of it because you're like, oh, society sells me that's wrong. I can't have these thoughts. I can't have these feelings. Like, no. Like it's just a shame. But I mean that's I think why we're having these conversations and why the three of us share different but similar interests in meditation in plant medicine, um, exploring our minds because we want to get to the point where it's like, fuck, like, just be you. Like, it doesn't matter what that person's going through and what they think of you because you have an awesome life or you choose to think you have an awesome life. Just just do it. Just and, and like, that's why I think everything comes down to your life is love. Like, I think that I think love is like the one, the most beautiful aspect of being a human being. But I think that's everything. I think if you can truly feel love for your life and for other people, and this goes back to like my believing we're all connected. Like if you can truly step into that, then, you know, there's no other problems.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I actually kind of shared with you once in in a deeper conversation. And I guess it all comes full circle. It related back to how we first met uh, in in the float tank. Uh that we would just happen to, to be, be clear, there. not the same in the float day. tank. <laughs> yeah, in the, no, in not the lobby. <laughs> not, not together. <laughs> uh separate tanks. But uh yeah, we met in the lobby and uh Oh, thanks for <laughs> I'm yeah, you guys together. No, my, my wife jokes about that all the time. Uh <laughs> but yeah, one of the things that probably the main insight I gained from that experience, uh that in a lot of ways is is pretty psychedelic to to just be in this kind of weightless state with just your mind. And one of the things I often really struggle with and I'm I'm glad we kind of got on this today um is that sometimes I can I I have a difficulty with feeling good or feeling positive about myself and my life and where I am because some people very close to me suffer in some pretty unimaginable ways. And there's little to nothing I can do about it. And it's it's difficult to sometimes feel decent or to just enjoy things for what they are with that in mind. And it's a place I often go when I'm alone with my thoughts. It's often It's just, I spoke to Josh kind of about this, that I think everybody has that place that when they're really alone with their thoughts, there's, there's somewhere that you go that can be a a rabbit hole that, that will take you down. And that's, that's kind of where mine is. And one of the things that I kind of helped me help pull me out of it, because in that moment I was kind of like, Oh fuck, maybe this experience isn't going to go very well because I was having some really challenging thoughts. Um, when I was sitting there floating and, uh, what really pulled me out of it ultimately was just realizing that from the perspective of anyone who cares about me, all they want for me is for me to be as happy as I can be. And for me to live as, as good of a life as possible. And the best thing that I can do for them is to live my best life and to become More mindful and more patient and more present in every single experience that I ever have with them, and to bring more to the table in our relationship and to just be more for them. And in order to do that, I have to take care of myself. I I have to prioritize my personal well being. And that's all that they want for me. And it doesn't serve them at all, despite how much they suffer for me to suffer too, or for me to feel worse or for me to always be in this state of guilt or or questioning because of that and um yeah it was just one of those those kind of breakthrough moments for me where i that really pulled me out and i realized that that no matter how bad it gets or how challenging it gets i still have to focus on that and that still is what is going to do the most for me and those around me and just remembering that it doesn't serve them, doesn't serve anyone for you to feel worse than you do. Uh, and I, I think sometimes that's hard to remember.
2: Yeah, I, I, everything you said, I love and I agree. And like, that's, I think I've told you, like, that's, that is the exact thing I tell myself anytime I feel sad, angry, or guilty about my brother passing, like, and it happened to be on his two year anniversary this June, where I, I ate a pretty substantial amount of mushrooms and for the first time of that that large amount. And I had a similar breakthrough in that moment on top of like I was being challenged for like two weeks working with um with a coach of mine. And she was like, you know, two weeks is gonna be your brother's two year passing. You know, like, how are you gonna honor him? And I remember was getting upset because I was like,
0: What how the fuck am I gonna honor
2: my brother? Like, I don't I don't know, like, like, and then in that moment that night, it was it was what you just said, on top of thinking, how was my brother, my brother was the most outgoing, did not give a fuck about what anyone thought of him, he spoke his mind, whether I agreed with it or not, whether it was offensive or not. And I'm over here trying to be like, Oh, like, I'm insecure, I'm trying to mind other people like I'm kind of uptight. And so in that moment, I was like, well, fuck, like, one. I'm not doing anyone justice, or I'm, I'm not justice, I'm not doing anyone any favors by playing the victim, uh, especially when he's not alive. Number two, I'm not honoring him by essentially wasting my life in my eyes by feeling down all the time. And number three, how can I honor him? I can just be more outgoing, more happy, more not so rigid in my ways because. Uh, an old version of me was very, very uptight, very had to be this way, had to be that way. And so what you just said, like it it resonates with me so much because that's the exact same thing. I tell myself anytime I feel down about the fact that my brother's not alive anymore and then I have to snap myself out of it because it's a dark hole to go down. But it's like, what good am I doing him or anyone that's alive right now that could benefit from me just being me? And I think that that's something that takes a lot of self-work and a lot of self-reflection and it goes back to love like people love you you have to love yourself enough to be able to move forward because that's what people want you to do and how many people are out there struggling with the same thing we're talking about that don't have these mindsets or these tools these conversations the support groups um, of people not just like a formal group but like this conversation could be so valuable, but you showing up in the way you show up, you know, we connected because of a similar journey at, it happened to be at the lobby of a float, a float tank spa. And then we get to share and connect on a similar experience. Um, very, very different on the outside, but uh, on a human level inside. And we're able to, you know, maybe share some value with one another and then share that with other people.
1: That's deep. Um, having to, like how you said, love yourself, and remind yourself that you are important. I mean, you're the most important thing in your life. Uh, how do you how do you love yourself if you don't know how to do it? For me, it's just just
2: enjoy life. It's 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 not about like self care. Like those are all great things. It's just about living as close to my ideal life as I can. Um, living in love is as closely as i can like to whatever that means to you but just doing whatever i can to live my life how i want and to not let any outside constraints kind of hold me from that and i know that's like a really vague way of saying that um
1: no i get it actually it makes complete sense for me yeah Uh, i think that's why i do anything that when i was a kid you know i'm the guy in in college that went to go study engineering school in germany I spent a year traveling the world and stuff. Um, I didn't do the traditional, you know, go to the, I mean, I did, I went to university and I had fun and I partied and everything, but I didn't like, you know, get the scholarship, move in, dorm life and all that stuff. Like I did a little differently only because I was like, if I'm going to have this experience, I'm just going to make it only what I want it to be, not what it's supposed to be or anything like that. Like nobody, I was the first engineering school student at FIU to go to Germany. Uh, representing our engineering program, right? And I busted open that program. Uh, And there's a population of 55,000 students. So I was doing something that is not really the common path. And in my brain, I was like, if I'm going to live this life, and I had this crazy idea, even as a kid, uh, and I actually have a story on on how I came to that conclusion, but I was thinking, if I'm going to live this life, I'm going to live it my way. Uh, I always pictured myself like in a deathbed. and, you know, hopefully 90 or 85 years old. And, you know, the one thing I would ask myself, I guess, in that scenario is, you know, how did I spend my time here on this earth? You know, it's just a blink. It's just a couple of years before you know it, you're there. Would I be happy uh, doing the exact same thing I'm doing now? Would I be happy then? Or would I want more for my life? Not because of somebody else's measure of success or what other people impose on me, but only because I wanted to be satisfied with the life that I led. and the way that I saw that was, okay, I have to, uh, stand on my own two feet and then construct that life that I want. And so that's my life's mission. Uh, I fight every day, you know, to be, uh, successful or I'm fighting to be something only for that, only for that, uh, my own satisfaction to say, I did my life my way, you know, that's my version of self-love. And I think the reason how I got there, uh, I remember I was a kid, uh, my dad was a, uh, he worked in construction. He was a trucker. And I'll go with, to work with him. He also owned the gas station and stuff like that in the hood. Um, and I'll go to work with him. And I remember specifically one day I was getting ready to do the FCAT. And I was nervous about it. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to pass. Like, um, And I was, I was struggling with it. It was coming up, and it was a test. Uh, and then I looked up, you know, I was in my dad's car. Uh, and I looked at everybody else, and I was like, wow, that lady's an adult. She passed the FCAT. Like, that guy uh, is an adult. He passed the FCA. Like, all these people must have passed the FCA, right? I mean, to get what they're doing, they must have passed all these tests that I'm about to do. So that means that I should be able to do it. And then I thought to myself, <laughs> and I don't even know if other people think about uh I'm pretty sure it happens to everybody. But it, you start asking questions. Okay, like, so who, who am I? Like, what am I supposed to be really? Do I have a choice? Or am I just going to be following the same path as they are? Because they're going nine to five work, too. Uh, even ask myself crazy questions like how do how do people know if how do I know if I'm gay or not? I don't know if I if I'm good at this thing or if, or, or if I'm good at public speaking or not. And then I realized like um, my life has to be whatever I'm gonna make it out to be, and that kind of freed me up. You know, uh, that's what gave me my self love, kind of like my mission. Uh, but I know not everybody's like that. Um, I don't know if you know people that never have any cause in their life that they're devoted to. I feel like when you don't have a cause, something that you're doing in life that you're devoted to, then that it makes it takes excitement out of life a little bit, I think.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't I think exactly. Like if you're not being pulled towards anything or if you're not being attracted towards anything or working towards something, it's like you're just stagnant. Like you're just you're just alive. Like you're not living. You're alive. there's a very big difference. Like I mentioned that that I forget the song by Logic, but there's a part in there where they say like there's an exponential difference between being alive and living your life. And I think that what you said is something that we share. It's like the best way you can love yourself and honor other people is living your life how you want to. But that's that that defies everything that societal traps or the societal trap tells you you need to do. But that's other people's baggage. That's other people's living beliefs from their own experiences and fears being pressed down to you or being projected onto you. There's a big difference between that. And I think that that's, I think what you're expressing with your path when you were younger and my path when I was younger on the mic and in the micro it looked very different, but on the macro, all we were doing was following what we wanted to be true about our lives and doing what it took and asking those questions along the way. And I don't know if I remember right now off the top of my head, um, or consciously remember if I asked, um, very similar questions, but like, you know, those types of questions like who I, I was just so adamant about creating the life I saw other people living because I was like I I love that that's exciting like that's I could go down this path I was set up to do all that you know but I wanted to do this and I think like you said like that's to me I'm glad that my answer resonated because in my mind it felt so vague even though it meant so much to me Um, but I'm glad that it resonated with you because that's the best way I think that anyone can love themselves is to live their life exactly how they want to. And I don't mean giving in to um, gluttony or fear or like this, this, and that. It's doing exactly at your core what you believe is going to put you on the path to creating the most ideal version of your life for yourself. But I think that's a big difference. It's not just – we all label success differently. But through society, you got to work this job. You got to make this money. You got to have this car. You got to have this house. And then you can tell people how to do life. And we celebrate. Oh, you got a car? You're in debt. Cool. You didn't buy that off. Oh, you got a mortgage? Cool. You get like another 100, 200 grand in debt. Awesome. Oh, you took five grand? You invested in your business? What are you doing? It's like, well, it's a different perspective, man.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's interesting how we how we tend to measure things. And I think, as you kind of spoke to, uh, your, your personal well-being is one that, is, is strangely overlooked often. And sure, it's, it's harder to maybe, I guess, directly measure and you, you meet someone in the world and it's not, you don't really, you never know what's going on inside their head. And they could be the happiest person you've ever met, or they could be dealing with the, you know, the darkest depression. And it's, it's all internal in that sense. So it's, it's so challenging to, to meet everyone and experience all of the external and to try to, figure out who is, who is really successful and who's really worth emulating or, or learning from. But at the end of the day, I think it's something that, that you can, I don't know. I don't, I don't mean to be too ambiguous about it, but I think you generally, I feel like can sense it or you can, you can see it in if you spend time around someone who is carrying a lot, who's stressed, who is, is dissatisfied, it becomes clear pretty quickly, even regardless of what else is going on around them or the, the more traditional success that they have. Um, and on the flip side of that, if you, if you meet someone who, who clearly is just, is, is loving life and who has a lot of gratitude in their life and who takes care of themselves and those around them, it's, it really, there's, there's very few other correlates, really. It's not like, they have to, as you spoke to, have a have a nice car, a nice house, or a great job, or, or any of these other things that we generally want. It's it's really just what it's like with them and for them, moment to moment. That that is at least the the measure that I try to focus on, and I think is probably probably the most telling one.
2: Yeah, it's energy. It's, you can pick up on that shit. It's, it's, you know, I know a lot of people say like the frequency thing, like that analogy is like, woohoo, but it's like, there's frequencies going around all the time. You can tune into one, you know, it, it, it you, human beings pick up on that. And I think that's one of the biggest things that what you just said that I've resonated with when I meet different people and like, why, like I vibe with you guys. It's like, it's that energy. It's, it's not catabolic, it's it's anabolic. It's like, it's wanting to grow, it's wanting to give, it's not wanting to take. And I can tell, and I've gotten really good at sussing out people that are trying to sell me on things because the energy is just so different. It's either coming from a lack energy, like a feeling of lack, a fear, or like some kind of just, it, it, does, it just feels wrong. And human beings, we're feeling beings. And you can pick up on that. You know when someone's "quote unquote" winning at life because you can just feel it. It doesn't matter their bank account or their house; it's their mind and their body. And like that is so contagious, and that's why I want to be around people that are like that and think that way because I know that's going to give to me. I'm going to give to them, and that's going to allow us to give to other
1: people. Yeah. So, what do you what do you think it, that is like? If somebody's you know making multi millions, they got a hot wife. Uh, their cars, you know, the newest Tesla and their kids advancing in school. And then they got all this, you know, from the outside they're put together and they have everything they need. If they're still miserable in the inside, why can't, why is it so difficult for people to, uh, kind of adjust to life? Uh, is it because it won't fit the narrative that they've told themselves from the beginning of this journey or what is that?
0: Well, I think at least just to jump in real quick, I think a lot of it comes from a place of, I guess, priorities maybe is, is, a, is a good word to use that if I think a lot of people tend to pursue things in life without realizing what the costs truly are. And so let's just say your, your goal is to to buy the newest Tesla or whatever. You know, it's, it's a great car. It's very exciting um but if that is what you prioritize i think sometimes people don't pay as much attention attention to the things that will just by nature fall by the wayside when you prioritize things that in and of themselves don't have a lot of value and so i think especially in america and in an incredibly capitalist society which has plenty of benefits but when we're always surrounded by what, what we should want and what we don't have. And we get a little confused about what happiness is or happiness as this permanent state that can be purchased that people just don't pay attention to the other things and they're willing to sacrifice their their mental health or their physical health or their their meaningful relationships or even just they neglect developing a, a practical ethic in, in their lives and how they adhere to that it's it none of that stuff is as important and in order to get to certain heights, you do have to be willing to kind of put on the blinders and and focus on just that one goal and when you kind of neglect to have a holistic view of of your whole experience and you you, you let things that are you let relationships fail you, you don't have meaning in your life. You don't have purpose. You don't have, uh, an an ethic that you follow. You don't feel like you're actually contributing to society or to the world. You, all these things that you don't have them. It's, it's really just one bucket that you're filling. You're putting all your chips in material success, which sure it's, it's not like doing those things isn't fun or that, uh, there's no value in those things, but it's, I think people do that in all sorts of ways, right? Like you could, any you could put all your chips in any bucket, and I think it's probably going to to leave you in, in not a particularly satisfied place in the long run.
2: Yeah, I want to add to that that I think it comes back to the baggage we carry around and not asking ourselves why do we want the car, why do we want the money, why do we want the house, why and being real and authentic with ourselves. And like, I should be a fucking affiliate for logic and his new album. No pressure. Cause he has Alan Watts <laughs> cameos added into songs and saying that same thing. It's not about the money. It's not about the car. The problem is people haven't asked themselves why they want it. There's some deep rooted insecurity that they think is going to be filled by having. And I have friends that have become broke to, you know, gone from broke BMX riders, living on couches and floors to now having, disposable millions and Ferraris and all this shit, and they are still insecure. They are still the same person because they're chasing something external to fix something internal. And that is one of the biggest fundamental pieces that has shifted my, um, I'd say, last couple of years of my life and how I live it. It's all the things I thought I wanted. Yeah, they'd still be cool, but they're not meaningful anymore because to brand's point, they don't hit the purpose of why I want them. I wasn't clear on why I want them. The the emotions that I had were filtering why I wanted that car, for example, or that amount of money. Why do I want that money? I want it because of fucking security. For freedom. Why do I want the car? Car was an ego thing. I wanted to feel good about myself and I want other people to see me as successful. And the more people I talk to that are in the seven, eight figure earner brackets, the reason why they have everything that the common person wants and they don't feel successful or they don't feel happy is because their purpose is unclear anymore. They're not fulfilled. They have all the money that any one of us could ever want, but that's not filling the void that is themselves. And if you haven't listened to it, Logic's recent album is amazing. It speaks to all this because he's, he's got a line in there. It's like 50 million to my name and I'm like still in the game, but I'm out because of my son. Like like shit like that because that's, that's purposeful to him the money, the fame, like all that shit. Jim Carrey speaks to this shit too. He said, t- I needed fame and fortune to teach me that that wasn't the pro- That wasn't going to fix my problems and make me happy. I had to find and create happiness inside. Sam Harris speaks to this. I know I could go live in a cave and be happy. Do I want to do that? No, but I know I could. And I think that's the big difference is not enough people ask themselves why, and it's not their fault. Society tells us, you got to have this, you got to have that, or you're not going to be successful, meaning you're not going to be happy. Not enough people just do what the fuck they want and enjoy themselves. Speaking to what we were talking about earlier, when Kevin, you asked me, you know, how do I um, practice self-love it's living my life, but to live your life the way you want to, you have to be real really yourself and you have to understand why you want things and ask yourself why you want them. And it's not always going to be, it's going to be deeper than surface level shit. So if you're like, Oh, cause it's cool. Okay. Why is it cool to you? It's a hard question. It takes time, especially if you're wrapped up in your ego, trying to protect you for some insecurity that happened to you when you're eight years old. That's that's the shit that I believe is why people may have all the external shit and don't feel happy. They don't feel fulfilled, and that leads them to getting sick, or mm-hmm. depressed, or their family, you know, breaking up because their insecurities.
0: Man. Yeah. Just one final thing on that note that you kind of just reminded of me, Josh, reminded me of is that I feel like why there often seems to actually be a correlation between more things or more even accomplishments, if you will, or just even more experience and actually more dissatisfaction. It's it's quite intuitive, but just the more you do in in search of, as you said, using the external to try to satisfy something internal it's just kind of checking new boxes on a list of things that you are hoping that would make you happy or satisfied and the more things you do it's just more things that you now know don't do it where you were like well maybe if i did this maybe if i got the car maybe if i got the house maybe if i got married maybe if i Got the new job. Maybe if I won this award, and you just keep going down the list, like it, maybe something will click eventually. If I just keep filling these other boxes, and the more you do that, the more you start running out of things. Right when you when you've achieved the highest levels of success, and you're just like, what can I? Do? I flew. I got a private jet. I, I tried to do it all. I I kayak down the Amazon. Like where's where's my enlightenment? Where's my happiness? Where's my peace? And when you don't find it, it's actually worse than being someone who's kind of sitting at square one, being like, I have all these possibilities, everything is open, and hoping that that's still one of these external things will will fill that
1: void. And you know, um, I'm thinking about not too, like, the way society seems to have worked. like if you take medical students, I was just talking to somebody else the other day, uh, you know, people have a quarter, half a million dollars in debt. Before they even get running. So, you're telling people when they're 18 to decide what they want to do for the rest of their life, right? There's people 50 years old, don't even know what they're going to do. And then you compound them with a quarter million dollars in debt, half a million dollars in debt. Now they feel like they have to make this work. Then, I've a bunch of some of my friends are dealing with that. They're like, okay, I'm not really doing what I set out to be doing. My life is miserable. And the only thing they care about is doing something. Uh, that may maybe forgive some of the, that money or get rid of that, that, debt. you know, it, but the whole reason you took on all that risk was to do what you wanted to do. But now the only thing you care about is getting rid of that debt after you've been in school for like 15 years or whatever. So it's like, or thought you wanted to do or thought you wanted to do. Yeah. It's even worse when it's like, damn, I don't want to do it. And I got the debt. You know, that's even worse. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's still bad. And these people should have, you know, a, the, the longer end of the stick. I mean, teachers and medical people always get uh, the short end of the stick, in my opinion. And it's hard for them even to change their mind and do and and do what they want to do because they're worried about this dark cloud that's above them, which is that debt. Like, that's first and foremost in their mind now. They're scrambling to get you rid get of the them. handcuffs. Yep. Exactly.
2: Yeah. I. <laughs> what's crazy to me is when we're 18 years old, we're expected to know what we want to do with the rest of our lives. when we have eight years left of our prefrontal cortex developing <laughs> and why I'm excited on reflecting on my past is because I was just going after what was in the moment and it led me to what I can do now for the rest of my life that I'm entirely passionate about and excited about, and I'm able to contribute and going to your point earlier that you were talking about Brandon I think that the the reason for what you're explaining is because the baseline continues to increase. Our expectations increase. And then when we're not able to keep up with these new baselines that we've created, whether it's financially or it's externally in some box, we feel worse about ourselves. And then that just magnifies. And this is fresh in my mind because I just started uh, listening to a book called Profit First. Um, I forget how you say his last name. The, his, the author is Mike... I don't even want to try. I'm going to butcher it. But he also <laughs> wrote a book called Fix This Next and a couple other books. But he talked to the same thing. Sold his business. First $388,000 check of many. He went out, didn't buy the best or the most convenient or uh, efficient or whatever. He said, give me the most expensive Land Rover and I'll take a BMW for a sidecar and then let me get my wife something. And she was just like, what are you doing? Like, are you able? He's like, yeah, I got this, all that. And then didn't understand that wasn't profit and it was all ego driven. And he was saying in the audible, he goes off script. And he's like, I'm so disgusted even thinking about this because I was in that mindset. But it was all these boxes I was trying to check. And then as these things grew, my expectations and my baseline grew. And then when I wasn't able to keep up with him, I got to a point where I was just, I was just miserable, broke, and then broke down at the dinner table. His daughter pulled out her piggy bank and was like, We'll be fine, Dad. Is it very um like I don't know how to word it, but like definitely. Uh, resonated in many different human ways but I think that's one of the reasons when we're chasing external things it's never going to be enough but internally is always enough it's just a matter of getting there to that conclusion and um, I need to introduce you to my friend Sean Wells Brandon I think he'd be a great guest for your podcast I just recorded like a three hour one with him Uh, he talks about this he's like man like he's got different patents and supplements he's you know made millions he's very well known like and he's like dude All the masterminds I'm in with all these billionaires, like majority of them aren't happy. And he's like, it took plant medicine for me to pull myself out of that. And other different experiences I went through to see like, none of this external shit means anything. Like it's, it's all inside and to hear other people. Like, that's why I love Jim Carrey, you know, like, and a lot of other, you know, famous rich people that say this, they're like, took all of this to show me it was never going to be enough. But what's cool is we're always enough it's just a matter of seeing that and accepting that. And then once you do that, I mean, look at all the amazing art he's been creating over the years now, like stepping into that. Like it, it's just, um, I, I don't know. I, I think that's one of the things is it's like external shit is never enough.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
2: it's, you got to fix your shit inside.
0: Right. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, it's, you know, as you said, the, the baseline just, just gets shifted and, it takes uh, what a couple weeks for, for humans to essentially adapt to anything. And so, you know, you might have this idea that, okay, I, I get this raise, I'm making 50% more. It's everything's going to be different, but you just spend more, you know, you upgrade your lifestyle. And in, in a few weeks, a few months at most, you're, you're still having the same. Thoughts about money. You're still just as stressed about money because you just put it to more things and you're not, even though the idea is, I want to be more comfortable. I want to be more satisfied. I don't want to have to worry about money, but you just keep upgrading and the baseline just shifts. And, you know, it's the same thing with anything else. Everybody has this idea like, okay, yeah, maybe I, I move to. Uh, Tahiti and uh, I'll live out on the beach and and I'll be happy. But in three weeks, paradise is normal, you know, and you, you're still the same person uh, dealing with the same problems. And so we often think that if we just, we just get a change of scenery, or we just, this one thing, this one problem is fixed, that everything is going to be different. But it just becomes normal very quickly. And that's one of the amazing things about being a human, because when things go wrong, you can adapt and you can, we can tolerate so much and we're so resilient. But at the same time, when things, when things get better in material ways, we, we just get used to them. And that's why like vacation is so great because you don't have time (laughs) to adapt to to where you are. And so everything seems like paradise in in a short, in a short little burst but you know the people the locals that live there it's it's just home
1: (laughs) and you know i can't but think that that baseline that continues to move up and and people's need to continue to check boxes i think part of it it's they don't really know how to relax and actually live in the moment right i mean there's people that are planning and they're so busy planning that when the event comes they're busy planning the next event there's that but it's it's to your point, Brandon, it's naturally it's part of what's amazing about being humans is that natural mm-hmm. anxiety, It's that natural feeling to look up in the stars and wonder maybe I can go there too, you know. It's once you reach that plateau, you think about the next thing, and you forget how to just be in the moment and actually, uh, you know, enjoy what you've planned.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a huge part of it, and it's it's challenging. I know we kind of spoke to it in our last conversation, uh, just kind of balancing the. To being okay with what is and and also wanting to grow and progress like there's this kind of constant tension uh in life to to balance those two forces of not being so worried about constant progress that you can' enjoy the moment and that you can't have a certain acceptance and comfortability with what is um it's it's incredibly challenging and it's you know maybe at least in my life the the biggest, obstacle I face on, on a daily basis is just kind of finding that balance because you don't want to become apathetic or you don't want to become uh, totally stagnant. And, you know, there's nothing particularly attractive about that. But at the same time, being able to sit with with difficult moments and being okay with your flaws or being okay with what's not quote unquote perfect about your life and just being able to accept and enjoy the little things, it's 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 a constant battle to to find that middle ground.
2: I heard a quote the other week in uh, the app Clubhouse. I've been in that um, for a couple weeks now. It's interesting. I I think you guys would both really like it if you already haven't experienced it. Mm -hmm. Um, If you need an invite, let me know. I got some. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just got on actually. um, Someone said you have to get involved to evolve. They're talking about your life, and I think that's a big point that if you're not aware of who you are, your life externally, internally, like where you are. If you're just adapting to your surroundings unknowingly, you're never going to be able to progress. And there's a difference between adapting and optimizing. Optimizing doesn't mean don't enjoy the moment. I would argue optimize means enjoy the moment, but have your vision set on progressing if that's of interest to you, because otherwise you're always adapting to your surroundings and what other people are doing in your surrounding environment. And that may not be what you want. And so you have to get involved with your life to involve to the place that you want to go to whatever, you know, vision that you describe that to yourself as.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's an important distinction. And I think it's, it's, it's very nuanced and it's, it's particularly difficult to, to not kind of conflate those two things and to, to get a little bit lost in, in what our actual aims are and, and what it takes to to really question and say, is, is my life actually perfect? You know, is it, is it, is it actually everything? Do I actually already have everything that I need and it's, it's just in here or are there things that I really would like to change? And, uh, I guess that's, that's the difficulty of, or maybe not even the difficulty, but the, the exciting part of life is, is building that and and figuring out what works for you and what doesn't and, and what's exciting. And, um, what, I guess, always turning to that internal first and saying, at least allowing that to be kind of your null hypothesis is, is it just an internal thing for me? Like, is it, is this really a problem or am I, am I having a problem processing something? Am I having a problem accepting something? Am I running from something? Am I afraid of something? And then that final option being like, okay, do I need to actually change something (laughs) external? Um, Because sometimes it's necessary, but Allowing that to be your default, I think, is, is quite helpful.
2: That's why I'm very, very fascinated with dimethyltryptamine, float tanks and meditation because who's to say which one's real in our mind or in our external environment? And that's, that, that thought, that concept is what is very fascinating to me and makes me want to learn more about the human brain and more about what consciousness is, what reality is because we all have our own different reality. But I think that that is a very, the concept you just shared of like, is this real or is that real? Mm -hmm. There's no right or wrong. I mean, whatever you want it to be is going to be what it's going to be to you. It doesn't mean you're living wrong, living life wrong or not. Um, Mm -hmm. That concept is what has me, I'd say, obsessed with learning more about deeper states of the mind.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I don't want to totally lose it this time because I kind of forgot to mention it earlier, but I'm very curious about your your DMT experience, and as it related back to that original question that Kevin fielded to you about kind of having a very real, or I guess I'm putting out it with it's unreal again, but very real near-death experience in your life early in life, and then also having this kind of near-death experience of sorts that you subjected yourself to, or uh, at least as some would describe it, this sort of totally removed. State. Uh, I'm just curious if you even feel like that describes what what your experience was like. And if so, how that compared to when you <clears throat> dealt with what you dealt with.
2: Yeah. So it's funny because everything you hear about people saying a DMT experience is similar to a dream, and that when you come out of it, you're like, oh, like I kind of remember, but I don't remember. But like it was real. But like, was it or, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's so difficult to explain other than Mm -hmm. it's like the most real dream you have had, even though dreams feel real in the moment. But then you have you're like, oh, man, like bits and pieces are there. But for the moment uh, in the beginning when I felt it coming on and to be clear, it's been one time and it was a entry level um, experience. It wasn't a dose to you know quote unquote break through. Um, mm. I I there was parts of it I could feel myself. I could pull myself out of it as soon as I became aware and was like oh like. I, I know with larger doses, there's none of that. And that's what actually excites me because um, I, I want to experience that because I'm a person that's dealt with control issues my entire life. Ironically, all the things I've gone through has always been a lesson that you have zero control. And so now I'm starting to embrace that concept mm-hmm. of I have no control. Maybe these experiences have been trying to show me that dude, just let go. And that's what I'm stepping into more and more. And I think that's what fascinates me. But what, something that I want to make clear is I think it's very important that people do research, um, how, whatever that means to you, because when I felt it coming on, it's not just like a snap, like it, it, it takes a second, It, but you can feel it. And then where I'm going with this is all of a sudden your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, your body just feels like this intense tingle, this warm sensation. And all of a sudden I felt super anxious and I was like, oh shit, my heart's beating like super fast, like all this shit. Mm -hmm. But I remember reading about it in Rick Strassman's book and it's like, oh, this is supposed to happen? Mm -hmm. Uh, This is also why people with certain blood pressure and heart issues maybe don't want to do DMT or do DMT on their own. It won't be Mm -hmm. supervised. Um, But there was a moment where I was just freaking out and I was just like, oh, what the fuck? Like, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this anymore. And I was like, wait. And this was the dose I was at. I was able to do this. I, I know my next uh, experience, a larger dose, this won't happen. Uh, I probably won't even have this thought. But anyways, it was like, no, this is supposed to happen. And just mm. that thought, as soon as I remembered it or recognized it in that moment, I just like surrendered to it. And then it just the best way I can explain it from my memory now is like watching dreams evolve. Like, you know, when you're in a dream and then all of a sudden you like wake up or you don't wake up, but like you're in another dream Mm -hmm. and you remember when you wake up, like I was in this dream, but then I ended up in this and like, I don't know, like it was like I was watching that happen, but the colors, the geometric patterns, all that shit was still there. But like, that's how I was seeing my dreams. And it made sense when I was in that moment. But when I'm trying to describe this moment, this experience in this moment, it doesn't make sense but Mm -hmm. i was also listening to music and i i felt like the music was constructing how i was seeing my dreams evolve from one to another but there was points where i was like freaking out because i was like oh fuck like where's my body am i dying and then i was Mm -hmm. like jackie was like yeah then all of a sudden you like you touch your leg and then you were like you chill back out and i was like yeah all right this is nice (laughs) um and I'm really excited because I wanted to do that level of a dose because that's obviously what was recommended from a lot of the research I was looking into and different experts and people with a lot of experience I wouldn't maybe consider an expert by, you know, societal terms. But to me, that's an expert. They've had the experience. So they were like, yeah, just start out with this one, just like anything, get a feel for it, you know, get comfortable with it because you're not going to know what's going on in this next one. Um, but... Had I not read that book and understood that those processes were supposed to happen or were going to happen, I don't think I would have handled it as well. And I think I would have had a quote unquote bad trip, which then I've also learned that that is not really what we think is a bad trip because there is no such thing as a good or bad trip. It just, it is what it is. And you either learn something or you are afraid, um, Which should teach you there's something to learn there. But I don't even know if any of this is making sense, but this is like, it's so hard to describe. And I just, I think it was one of the, besides that moment I explained earlier when I was like, man, like I love being me. Like I love my life. This was one of the top beautiful moments I've ever experienced in my life. And I don't know how to put it into words. Jackie had my phone recorder on as soon as I, like, I came to and recorded everything. And I just... I haven't listened to it actually, um, which that would be interesting, but I don't know how to explain it and why I say everything you've probably heard of people going through the same jibber jabber that I just gave you and saying they don't know how to explain it, but it felt so familiar when you're there. Mm-hmm. It it's true, like that. Right. And for me, that's that's exactly like everything I've heard. Rogan or Mike Tyson or all these other people talk about DMT. I was like, oh fuck! Like, all right, I know what you're saying now. I don't know how to regurgitate it, but right, that's what it yeah. felt like. Yeah, I
0: mean, anyone who's had any sort of a even mildly similar experience knows that it's it is impossible, really, to to describe what you're what you're getting at. So I didn't mean to to put you on the spot in that oh, no, sense, but I definitely. uh <laughs> was just a little curious what what that was like and cuz i know we hadn't really spoken about it in any depth um but yeah i mean i'm i'm just definitely happy for you man I, I think it's i'm always interested to just hear what people's experiences are like and to know that it was was overwhelmingly positive and that you're excited to to do it again i think is is everything that i need to know
2: yeah i'm, I'm excited because it will be a larger dose to where there won't be um from what i've learned there won't be any awareness of my body
0: mm-hmm. there
2: won't like i won't it'll be you know blasting off that's what they refer to it as like right. just and the whole like other entity thing and i think kevin i think i sent you an instagram post about this when they were talking about like are the entities real or are they made up in your mind but is your mind real or is it made up but like then if that's made up then is reality reality or is it real or is it like and it's, I love that stuff because it's, it's challenging. It's challenging to the the narrative that we're told to believe from growing up, especially if we're grown up in a religious sense, which, you know, Brandon, you talked about that growing up and I, I've had similar mm-hmm. um, experiences and it's just like, it just, it's just so endless. I think that's what I love about it, but I believe that's because we're endless. I think we're, you know, we're infinite. Like it, we're not just confined to this human subjective reality that we call human life. Like, I think there's more to it. And I think that that is why I love, you know, exploring meditation floats, psychedelics. And, um, to be clear, I haven't even, you know, experimented with LSD or, um, uh, what's the other one MDMA. Like it mm. was, it was weed for like, you know, 11 <laughs> years ago. And then it was like three years ago, it was a little bit of mushrooms. And then now it's like, all right, like, I, yeah i'm just very interested in dmt right now and um i have a i think there's a difference i have some friends that are like yeah like it's just fun like we're gonna party we're gonna do some ecstasy we're gonna eat mushrooms we're gonna drink and i just like i have no interest in that at all (laughs) i want to be secluded from people i want to be in the dark i want to be with maybe one or two people i want the set and setting to be a environment that is going to allow me to explore my mind i don't think being at a concert on three different things is the way to go. My personal perspective on that. Mm -hmm. Um, but that I have like a very, I I don't want to say, um, medical is not the right word, but like, um, just a self spiritual uh, what the word is. Yeah, Yeah. I'd say like a spiritual self growth perspective of interest with these compounds. Um,
1: yeah, I'm um, excited to uh, <laughs> so experience it again. I gotta confess, man, I'm like a pussy, I guess, because when I think about DMT, like, and hard drugs, right? I mean, I do just as much drugs as the next guy, and I don't really do nothing crazy. But I'm, I get a little scared, man. I get a little spooked. I'm like, how, how do I do that? How do you, how do I just let go of control? Like, I don't even know where it's going. I'm blasting off. I don't you know, know what's gonna happen. Like, how? I guess at the end of it the overall feeling that you're supposed to leave with is like a, a, like a humbled feeling, isn't it? Or like what the world is just much bigger than what you think it is. Like, what is it? uh, What's the takeaway? Like back when you come back to life,
2: I, I'm a firm believer. There's no expectations. I think that's what
1: gets people
2: into those quote unquote bad trips. And again, I'm just speaking from a little bit of experience, but I think that that's the control aspect that, why i'm interested in plant medicine is because of my past with control like i said earlier like i want to experience no control like i i want to see what my existence is without feeling fear or control or having any sense of what the word control even means and i think that that's something i learned in meditation actually Um, sam harris actually made this very clear uh, from my, from my understanding is like to, to have an expectation going into meditation defeats the purpose of meditation. And mm-hmm. so I translated that as to, you know, having expectations of an outcome with plant medicine defeats the purpose in my mind of why I'm doing it in the first place. Because if you ask yourself, well, why do you want to have this expectation? It's usually gonna come back to a sense of fear or control, which control could be led to fear as well. The deeper negative emotion that you're experiencing, and so that that's one of the reasons why I'm so fascinated with it because I don't want to have expectations or control. I want to see what see what it's like without having this human body, if you will, kind of manipulating what's in my mind um, or influencing it in my mind. And so, um, yeah, I don't I don't think that expectations other than curiosity should be there. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Brandon, I know you have, uh, you have, I mean, I've done DMT once, but um, you've had a lot more experience with psychedelics. And so like, what would you say to Kevin's question? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually going to, you know, kind of piggyback off of that. I, I guess in, in theory, I haven't necessarily done anything quite as maybe immersive would be a good word as DMT, but, um, I do have a lot of experience broadly, um, especially with, with psilocybin and I think you, you kind of hit the, hit the nail on the head with that one, that it's, and it, it really does apply perfectly to meditation and this idea of kind of state chasing that you often see where people go into meditating, meditation, expecting to, I don't know. Find peace, or be enlightened, or to reach some sort of euphoric state that uh, will just kind of totally take them outside of their normal life. And a that, as just said, kind of defeats the purpose because the idea is always to integrate that into your normal state of being. It, meditating just to have a have thirty minutes of of a new experience is in and of itself not that valuable. It's it's training a muscle in of your mind to to be able to recall these insights on a day to day basis. It's the same thing with psychedelics. That sure you're in a way you're taking the elevator to Everest, but you're you're getting there to be able to see what's possible. You're you're, you're getting there to to open yourself up to what you're afraid of, what you're running from, what barriers you've built up your your mind is kind of revealing itself to you and showing you the things that you have built up over the years so that you can continue to be this self that you've constructed and just continue to maintain the status quo as the human body is designed to do so it's if you go in with any sort of an expectation of what it's going to be like you'll always be wrong first off like it it's yep. just <laughs> it, i've tried many times you know i've I've tried many times making lists or like things I want to do or things I want to think about. And it's always laughable in the moment where you're just like, God, I'm so fucking dumb. Like in my normal, in my normal state to be able to think that like, Oh, I'm going to impose my ideas of like what my insecurities are, like what I need to work on. Cause it's always so wrong. You know, it's, but when you get into those moments and you realize it's just, it's just so different and that's why it is so valuable. Because you just can't, you can't think of these things in a, in a a normal state without a lot of practice or a lot of experience or meditation and a lot of work to be, a lot of work done. So it's, it, Josh really is right that the the expectation not only can ruin it, but also just is, is never really that helpful because it, it, it's going to be wrong and it also, as he also kind of mentioned earlier it can feed what is often considered a bad trip that when a expectations aren't met so you're thinking okay this incredible thing is going to happen to me and I'm I'm going to come out I'm going to be different I'm going to be better and you don't feel like it's going that way that can be very unsettling and destabilizing um but at the same time it's also that you when things come up that you you just are totally unprepared for, you resist where you're like, okay, I, I think, um, maybe I've got a little bit of baggage. Like I've, uh, I've got some insecurities about, uh, I, I don't know the way that I talk. And so you're like, Hey, I'd like to maybe dig into that a little bit, maybe become more comfortable with that. But then out of nowhere, you, you have some memory from childhood that comes up or some, something that you just had no idea you even had a problem with. And you're like, Hey, this isn't what I bargained for. And that is the moment when things turn bad is when you say, this isn't what I wanted. I just want to go back and you start to resist. And that's when things can become, you know, from my experience, very unsettling and very uncomfortable in, in various different ways. Like these are incredibly strong compounds that, that can be quite, um, can be quite dangerous if you're not prepared and you don't have the, the prior set, the proper set and setting and the proper kind of lack of expectation in a way. So it's, there's, there's just a lot of balancing forces there, but as much as you can just go into it with a, not to be reductive, but a certain open mindedness that whatever happens is useful. And even if it's scary or if it's uh it's, otherworldly or it's you lose control that that is there's something to be learned from it and then it's not innately negative or positive it's just an experience that if properly integrated um, always can be beneficial and and help you grow wow that was
2: a very deep elegant way of describing everything i said and that was beautiful
1: (laughs) i think he's crying (laughs) What yeah I sense,
2: yeah. I think my my favorite thing, whether it's it's plant medicine, it's a business, it's exploring living beliefs or anything, it whatever, if you can have the intention to be curious, I think that takes all the emotional charge out of something. It just allows you to see what is and not make meaning of it. Human beings are meaning making machines. So, like Rand said, if you're going into something thinking, I'm gonna be a better person because of this and you come out and you're like, Oh like I'm like more anxious now. Or I'm like, I should be better, but I'm not. I'm the same. That could fuck you up. Because the point of psychedelics, like you you said, Brian, is to integrate what you learn. If you're having mm. an expectation or even meditation or even journaling, like if you're trying to consciously control something that is everything but conscious, it's 100% unconscious. You're going to miss the learning and you could fuck yourself up more. You could feed into your baggage more. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you're wanting to go like, I want to be a better speaker of like just, just communication. and then you go and you you highlight your insecurities and you're like, this is supposed to make me feel better. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm even more insecure. This doesn't feel good. You may come out and then you may be a fucking afraid to talk for a minute. Um, I think that is a huge, huge point you made, And so I just love telling anyone myself too, always be curious because I, I won't lie. like going like when the moment came, And we were just sitting there and I was like, all right, you know, I could, you know, take a small dose like I'm about to, and I could blast off or I could not have anything happen. Or it could just be a subtle little, little trip. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I was, I was nervous. I was, I was, I had all those thoughts come in, but then I was like, no, 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 let's just be curious. I've had a whole wide spectrum of experiences I've taken in from other people. I've done my research. Let's just be curious now. Let's experience it for myself. Let's not take the pleasure and joy away from this experience I could have that could be beautiful and fuck it up. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that's a, that was a big takeaway for me in that moment. And I came out of it and I was like, this, I'm not quite sure how to integrate it yet other than just being more curious, more open minded and just letting go. Um, Right. But yeah, curiosity,
1: I think it just takes all the charge Mm -hmm. out. Would you recommend like, you know, the average Joe to do it? Um, I I, I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll maybe just jump in on that because it's something that I kind of wanted to speak to already because I feel like it is very important anytime this comes up as a topic. And I've spoken about it once on an episode, but first off, it's I probably more so than you would expect, given what I've said thus far, would urge caution to anyone Um once again, these are incredibly powerful compounds, but they are dangerous and it, it just like anything, you know it's a tool and uh, a knife can make you sashimi or it can slit your throat, right? I mean it's it, there's there's a lot to consider and a I, I mean, I guess secondly, it's not for everyone, I think individuals that, uh, have a certain family history, especially when it comes to uh, things on the spectrum of psychotic disorders. I think you should probably just in general stay away. Uh, I don't think it should be done particularly casually at high doses. I think you should always know where you, where your sources are. Um, use something that you know someone who has used it before. Uh Set and setting, as Josh mentioned, are, are so, so crucial as far as being able to have some control over your environment, being with someone that you trust, doing the work on the front end, which I think a lot of people miss is you need to spend time, spend weeks meditating, practicing, uh, getting comfortable with silence, with yourself, with your own mind, because you're going to be there without you know without it being a choice you're going to you're going to get there and that's that can be very challenging for people that aren't accustomed to going to those darker places or even I don't even necessarily want to say dark but just accessing more of their psyche and uh we we run from a lot we hide a lot we build a lot of barriers and that's how we operate in society and r- maintain relationships as people so it's 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 just something that Generally speaking, I would always advise doing it with someone who who knows what they're doing with a guide in a therapeutic setting. Um, and if you can't, I, I wouldn't necessarily advise it. Um, but you know, not to scare people off, but it's something that I've been lucky in a lot of ways to have done them in kind of an experimental, curious way when I was younger. And nothing bad came of it but i i definitely was reckless at times and i definitely did it in more of a a carefree kind of let's just have some fun sort of way as josh kind of spoke to when i was younger and nothing bad came of it as i said but it is a little bit of a you know kind of spin of the revolver in a way that you don't necessarily know what you're going to get and unless you you do it properly you prepare properly you have the right people around you um there's definitely a lot of ways that it can uniquely go wrong. And on the back end, I think as Josh also spoke to integration is so key that if you, because it can be this portal into this new world that you don't recognize, uh, both metaphorically and literally depending on dosage. And it can be tough. It can be destabilizing when you, gain these incredible insights and you see these things you've never seen before and you realize what your brain is capable of and you, you become detached from your ego and you feel like you've, you know, just been teleported to Mars for a moment, but now you're back on earth and you know nothing about Mars and you can never go back. It's almost something kind of like that, where you, it can be very frustrating to have a very, kind of a, a quote unquote breakthrough experience where you feel like it changes everything for you but then if the integration isn't there if you don't have the proper guidance or you're not able to find ways to because it can be very difficult to remember and it can be seem almost like it wasn't even real like it was a dream and so if if the integration isn't done properly it can leave you just kind of a wanting to go back in a way that you don't really understand, but also uh, just feeling kind of detached from your actual reality. And uh, so yeah I mean I think ultimately what I'm trying to get to is that that guidance from, from people who know what they're doing and, and good sources are, are incredibly important and just remembering that this is it's just a tool and it's 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 giving you a glimpse of something valuable, but you have to integrate it. you have to do the work you have to try to find similar experiences to meditate to to be mindful to challenge yourself to address fears just in your normal waking life if you want these compounds to actually be helpful and not just be this like crazy thing that happened to you that is is hard to describe and hard to you know really just integrate into your regular life without being like well what the fuck do i do now like do i do i quit my job do i yeah move to bali do i you know it's people people process it in all different kinds of ways but
1: um are you planning on doing it on uh on doing what dmt
0: (laughs) oh oh um that's a fair question um and i guess now might be a relevant time to to bring it up that Probably not, to be honest. And I haven't actually done any psychedelics in a good while, probably as long as I ever have in the past, uh, I don't know, five to eight years, largely because I relatively recently found out about you know someone in my immediate family that actually has uh, schizophrenia. And that has changed things for me in in a pretty significant way, as far as how I think about psychedelics and in mental health and in different states. And so in a way now I'm kind of in that category of people that has to have a pretty extreme amount of caution with anything on this spectrum. So uh, to be fair, I don't know what my future will look like with psychedelics, because as I'm sure anyone can glean from what I've said, I have a lot of experience and see so much value in them. But I also have a very new perspective based on um, what I've experienced and the kind of natural, I guess, risk factors that I maybe have that I didn't realize. So um, I think something as intense as as DMT might not be in the cards for me, at least in the near future. I still, I guess, to be fair, have done some, you know, smaller amounts of of other compounds, but as far as anything that is really, truly transformative, as far as uh, an experience in a state, I think I, I it's just, I'm in a different place uh, with it at the moment.
1: It's Schizophrenia is, uh, is it just genetic?
0: Yeah, I mean, largely so. It's uh, Of course, nothing is, is fully genetic, but uh, it, it definitely is largely at least for our current understanding of it which to be fair isn't great but there's lots of different things that can trigger uh its emergence in an individual especially in you know young men and um psychedelics you know heavy doses of thc there's there's lots of things that, that can be triggers or you know traumatic experiences in life. There's lots of things that can then bring it to light, and there's arguments over whether or not those things are, you know, whether this condition would would come to light uh, without those being at play. Um, but it's just considered a risk factor, and people certainly, you know, do have psychotic breaks on these compounds, and that's that's something that is definitely worth knowing for anyone considering consuming them and something you should probably be in tune with. I wish I had been more so, like I said, nothing bad has happened to me and I've just been incredibly lucky I feel. But if you don't know your family history on that front, or if anyone in your immediate family does have any potential issues on that front, it's just something to, uh, to certainly be aware of.
2: Yeah. Dr. Rick Strassman and Timothy Leary, both talk about the mental health background of family genetics and things like that for sure. And then also, like I mentioned earlier with, with DMP specifically, um, so Kevin, if you're interested, I would buy and read the spirit molecule. There's also a documentary. That's like a small glimpse into that on Netflix, but that's Dr. Rick Strassman wrote that book from, uh, clinical research in the nineties before it became highly legal to do so in America. And, um, talks about the whole journey getting the approval from the FDA, getting the compounds, getting the subjects, him and his colleagues testing dosage with IVs on themselves to find the specific dosage that they would take the patients through and then documenting each and every category of experience from all of their different um, patients that volunteered. So it's a very, very thorough book um, in terms of like one resource to look into. But he mentions that like because of the heart rate, the blood pressure, all that stuff, if you have issues with that, this may not be the best or may not be the best without medical supervision. Um, one of the things that drew me to it is the time frame. I didn't like when I was uh, on a high level of psilocybin and I was ready to be done. I didn't mm-hmm. like that. I had another four hours left with DMT. Yeah. It's five to 15 minutes and yeah, Um, my experience was, was quite pleasant. My last experience with a high dose of psilocybin left me with a gnarly ass headache the entire next day. And for three or so hours feeling nauseous at the end of my experience and just being ready, that could have been my control issues coming up. I don't know. I would imagine that would probably what that was, but that's why I've taken a fascination with DMT in which they also refer to as unearned wisdom because it does just launch you out to a different part of your brain. Where you have, if you're you know, integrating, like Brandon keeps talking about, like integrating is really important, then you have what they call unearned wisdom. Um, but I would just check out, if you're that interested, obviously we can talk more about it, but um, those are, that book, it's a monster of a book that I devoured probably the quickest I've ever read a book that size just because I was that intrigued with it. And um, it had a lot of great information, which came in, in, in like, came in handy in so many different ways with that experience I had. Had I not read that book, I don't think I would have had the same experience. Um, but also, uh, sorry to interrupt, but on, on your note of what you said earlier about you know, should, who should or should, like Brian was saying, if you're not willing to do a lot of journaling, if you're not willing to do a lot of meditation, I would argue if you're not willing to get in a float tank for an hour or two hours – I wouldn't suggest messing with any psychedelic because if you can't handle being by yourself in total darkness and no sounds and just your mind for an hour or two hours whether it's meditation or a float tank, I I would I would say not, no, no <laughs> um, don't and actually Brandon, I don't know if I mentioned this to you I did a float I actually have one more on my account. I may re-up my account uh, now but uh, the first float I did after my DMT experience was completely different than the other ones um oh yeah dang. it's been it's been a couple of weeks now so i don't remember the the whole experience i didn't take note of it i talked about it a few times but i just remember it being like i want to say more pleasant or peaceful mm. but it's just like it, it had a different i don't know like a different vibe to it and mm. um so now i'm like thoroughly interested to float more um I don't know. I I forgot to tell you about that, but I had like a really profound wow. difference of experience the last float I did compared to the one I did before. Um, I had my DMT experience.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. No, that's super interesting. I mean, it makes sense that that once you kind of I guess expand what you're what you're comfortable with and and what you've experienced that you just it's it's easier to relax into into anything on that front. Um and I guess just to continue to to piggyback off what you were saying, I think, I, I guess it's something I say often, but just to Kevin's question as well, in all things, I think the the floor and the ceiling expand together, and so it's it is what it is. Like it's with something that's this powerful that can be this meaningful and insightful, and that when in in clinical studies when people take these compounds consistently it's you know they consider it a top five experience or most meaningful experience of their entire lives and there's that incredible ceiling but at the same time there's there's a lot of risk and i think everyone should be super in tune with what the floor looks like before they consider it and but also be aware of of what they're doing right now with with maps and a lot of these uh breakthrough phase three clinical trials that are going on right now i mean they're I think the most promising thing that exists for maybe even humanity as a whole. I don't mean to make it too woo woo, but as far as what they're doing in a therapeutic setting for helping people with PTSD and uh, treatment resistant depression and all sorts of, you know, some of the worst suffering that exists in this world, that they're, you know, essentially curing these people in one to two sessions. Uh, with essentially no side effects and no long-term medication. It's it's truly incredible and so exciting to be alive right now when that's happening, that when they are able to control for set and setting and to do these things right and to give people very precise dosages and really do science in regards to these things, it's the, the options are limitless. And I, I hope that it's it's not something that gets derailed by any stretch because people use these compounds irresponsibly or they become legalized uh, recreationally and then you know something awful happens and and people get scared it's exactly what happened when they first were doing all this in the i guess in the 60s and 70s where there was lots of research happening it was all super promising and exciting and then the war on drugs happened and a lot of scare tactics came along and, and people just got a resistance to these things because of the fact that they this, the floor is there. Um, but I, I guess that'll be my last rant on the subject. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have two questions, really, but I guess I'll go in order. Like, this is a, a chemical or hormone that the brain or the glands excrete right before you die, right?
2: There's no affirmative actual data on that from my understanding, they think that and Brandon, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but they think that your lungs produce it and your brain and to a degree your liver. But I don't think that they've been able to isolate and actually say like this is what does it, or maybe it's the pineal gland they're trying to direct it towards uh is that does that sound right, Brandon?
0: Uh yeah, I I couldn't speak to it with a high degree of accuracy, but if we're talking about about DMT, I would say that's sorry
2: that's, that's my,
1: what i
0: assumed you were asking sorry yeah that's my general <laughs> understanding yes yeah
1: yeah so okay so i thought that was because i was asking i was thinking you know are, are there any did anybody look at the effects more long term like you said these people were getting ready to do their experiment and but they were trying their doses on themselves so they dosed themselves a couple oh, times the spirit molecule in the spirit molecule
2: yeah they did follow-ups um with the patients, uh, different timeframes throughout the months and years. And, um, that's something that was also interesting to me about it. There was to a degree, no negative side effects, so to speak. Um, obviously like Brandon mentioned, you know, schizophrenia, heart pressure, or uh, blood pressure issues, like things like that, um, that could be a concern, but from my understanding and from reading that book and looking at other things, like there hasn't, there's been, what is the, um, the, um, five MEOA or MEO DMT. Mm. The, um, there was a issue with it's on, it was on YouTube. There was a woman who went to some quote unquote shaman that gave her the wrong dose and five MEOA DMT or five MEO. Why do I keep saying MEOA MEO? DMT is mm-hmm. a different, I I wouldn't say compound, but form of just NMDMT. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tyson talks about the um, the toad; they it, they excrete it from a toad on a glass, and it crystallizes, and like it's a whole different thing. Um, there was an instance of a woman; I want to say she drowned or something, mm-hmm. but it was with mm-hmm. the a shaman who wasn't technically a shaman, but I guess led her to believe it was, or he was. So, Mm -hmm. um, but besides that, I don't think I've come across any detrimental negative effects from people, um, with DMT in the right context,
0: if that makes sense. Right. I don't
2: know if you've come across any cases otherwise.
0: um, I guess it's a little bit more so in an abstract sense that, uh, I think there's, there's plenty of I guess guides as you might call them who have had hundreds, thousands of trips of various kinds who are some of the you know most kind and insightful people you'd ever meet and who seem to be living great functional lives. but at the same time, I think just to once again just drive home the point about integration, I think I've definitely heard of or maybe not so known, no, not as much known personally, people who take a lot of these compounds and they don't integrate it at all. And it in the long term, if you do it a lot and you don't prepare properly and you don't integrate, it does create this kind of individual who's very removed from reality and who has a very hard time doing anything that is pro-social or keeping up with relationships or even just being okay with how things are not in that state. So I think in unless of a, maybe a clinical setting because I think the people who are who are who even were experimenting with this originally clinically were being a little bit more careful about it and um, were probably doing the most to try to keep themselves safe. To be fair, I, I don't know how much you know about some of the crazy research that went on in, in the early days of LSD and how they were dosing people without them knowing and stuff that the CIA and all this. Rick Strassman had a very in transparent in like,
2: process. <laughs> it was not mystery dosing or, hey, you want to you know come hang out and we're going to give you some DMT. It wasn't like that. Right,
1: we're going to watch um, you for a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, I mean the, the people who are doing it right and the people that we should pay attention to um, – I don't think there's been long term side effects in that sense. But of course, there are a lot of things that you can reference and I think a lot of things that did fuel the war on drugs in that sense. Even, you know, the Manson family and how he was just, I mean, giving people hundreds of doses of LSD and just seeing what happened to them and feeding them information and um really changing their minds in, in crazy ways, you know, it's they're just powerful tools and they can be abused and they can be um manipulated to to serious ends. But I think in and of themselves, if, if done properly, there's not any uh, significant concerns of, of long-term effects, I would say.
2: In regards to your abstract concept, uh, Dr. Andrew Gilmore, I believe his name is, Kerwin Ray had him on the podcast. He's been researching DMT for 20 years. He's written extensively and he's out of Japan actually he um he talks about this concept he's seen in the forums where these people whether it's psilocybin or dmt they'll have all these you know these trips and this experience and they don't integrate the work or they just have a whole different perceptive or perception of it they come out as these gurus and these big egos and they'll like talk down to people Mm. which is in my mind not what you would i guess want to come out All as right. if, with my perspective on why I am interested in this this conversation so that's that's another thing that I never thought of but like Dr. Andrew uh, was saying he's like yeah I've come across a lot of these gurus and forums that are like telling me I don't know about this and that they're trying to walk me through it as an expert and it's just really a weird dynamic so if you're not you know too familiar with yourself and you have a a big ego that is, you know, shielding you and you go down these routes that it could get even larger. And, you know, that could be damaging depending
1: on your perspective of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can definitely see that. It's even counterintuitive, right. Of what they're supposedly trying to find in this experience.
2: Right. Yeah. I'd I'd say maybe we would agree on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I think uh, we have maybe spoken about this a little bit before and it's, I guess it works on a few levels, but I bring it up often about the kind of elevator to Everest analogy that it's, if you make it up somewhere that high, if you're standing on the top of Mount Everest, by nature, you're looking down on everyone else. And it doesn't necessarily have to go farther than that, but it it can be incredibly difficult for people who do feel like they've gained some sort of incredibly useful insight or that they've reached another plane of existence to not feel as though the average individual is distanced from them in in some way. And I think to Josh's point, that is a failure of integration. And I, I think you should always be wary of anyone who is emphasizing so much like where they've been. Like if it's all about that, I've been to the top of Everest instead of where am I right now day to day? You know, Because if someone comes to me and they say that they, on, on a day-to-day basis, they find themselves to be incredibly patient and mindful, and they have a lot of gratitude and love and compassion in their life, that's something I'm interested in. But if someone just says, hey... I've been to Everest, I don't know what that was like for them. And I don't know if they even appreciated it, or learned anything from it. So I think sometimes it's hard when people do have these very meaningful experiences. And they want to take people along for the ride in a way. But it does, it is something that is certainly suspicious because of how these compounds work and how it doesn't detach you from your ego. So if you see someone always, you know, having this tendency to put themselves on a pedestal or, you know, say anything negative about other people for not, I think that's that's more just the signs of an individual who hasn't really gained that much insight at all, or is still too identified with their ego or looking to gain from the fact that they can maybe fool others into thinking that they know more than they do so that they can extract some sort of value out of them or something, because it is, it is one of those very complicated spaces as I kind of already spoke to where you could, if you can frame people's experience for them, that's a position of power. And so that's why you really want to be careful about who you trust and who might guide you or who might give you insight, because it's, It is all a matter of how you integrate it and and how you frame things, because it is going to be very difficult to understand and to put into terms that make sense. So that's how you get these stories of gurus and people who start cults and all that stuff. You know, it's they just tell people what their experiences mean and they interpret it for them, and they say, you know, just just keep trying, just trust me. I've I've been to Kilimanjaro, I've I've been to the moon, and you, you just need to follow
1: um i've heard what do you guys know about or think about uh or have you guys even heard it uh the human the ape to human um change that was made by psychedelics by uh, the consumption of mushrooms have you guys heard about that? the
0: the stoned ape theory yeah 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 uh i've heard a little bit josh i don't know if you have
2: I'm not enough uh, other than to be familiar with the stone daped concept. I'm not enough to like regurgitate any learning from it. It's been a minute actually since I've come across that.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I can't say that I have like, I wouldn't have read anything in depth about it or done any rigorous research, but I'm, I'm familiar with the concept or I guess maybe theory that, that was some sort of an important step in our evolution was essentially accidentally consuming psychedelic compounds in nature. And that being that kind of step function change in our, in our consciousness and in way of being and thinking that allowed us to really just make this, this giant leap forward that we still can't seem to explain how we quite got from, from some of these earlier human species to, to evolved Homo sapiens that, there just was this gap that we were still trying to, to parse apart.
2: That would make sense. What's that animal that you and uh, was it you and Jackie at dinner one night were talking about? Is it sloths? Like you oh, and Miranda oh, were talking about koalas, like, some animal. Koalas. koalas that just yeah. get fucked up every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all, all they
0: all they eat is eucalyptus. They won't eat anything else, and it's, it's very toxic to them, and it really fucks them up. <laughs> but it's all they will eat, and they it. It's honestly like it's like if we only ate. Uh, well, now that just sounds ironic. I was gonna say something like something poisonous, but like we do eat poison, so whatever. Um, we kind of do it ourselves, but yeah they for whatever reason i guess maybe it gets them high in a way i don't know they they just keep eating it even though it's like they can't digest it properly it's really bad for them uh but it's the only food they eat and i they're also very dumb apparently like they're just not <laughs> a smart species like if you take a eucalyptus leaf off of the tree and try to feed it to them they won't eat it like they they don't recognize it um and they all die like of uh some sort of like I think it was syphilis. Yeah, they, they all die of something super preventable because of the fact that they eat eucalyptus. Like it's just it seems like evolution has just kind of swerved around them. Maybe a bad example of the stone ape theory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it didn't look up for the them <laughs> at, at all. And I mean, maybe that's from a bird's eye view what we are uh like if some alien species came in and they'd just be like why are these why do these humans keep hurting themselves it's so silly (laughs) um but (laughs) i hope we're not the koalas of earth
1: (laughs) uh like i guess that's (laughs) the koalas of earth a backwards (laughs) way of putting that i'll tell you what if they're visiting us then we're probably the koalas
0: honestly (laughs) uh but yeah that reminds me something that i did want to ask and it'll maybe kind of bring us all full circle so that we can wrap up soon is uh i guess i was thinking about it because of the perseverance landing and stuff but do y'all think that we'll ever be a a multi-planet species
1: i do um the reason i do is because we have elon musk it makes it real um i think i so the only thing that's common you know thinking like elon the only thing that it's common is uh life and then extinction right so the repeated cycle like if we if something bad happens and we all get wiped out that will be nothing new in terms of the history of the world actually that's happened many many times with different animals uh you know you can go insects birds dinosaurs reptiles whatever you want they've all had their time that's been wiped out so that's the only really thing that's consistent if we want to break out of that which is elon musk's i guess uh big motive is to become an interplanetary species i think humans are curious enough and crazy enough to do it. Um, so I think, in fact, not only would we, we do it, but if we don't do it, then we don't ensure the survival of the human species, right? Uh, I think it's inevitable in some sense.
2: I would agree. And I would also add that I don't think that human beings on the planet Earth are the only, whatever you want to label us as, living species with intelligence and ability to travel. Um, And I I don't know if you guys have listened to Rogan's latest episode with Elon. I'm about 40 minutes into it, but they're just talking about this concept in that part that I ended on. And um, yeah, it's, um, it was pretty funny. Like they started off with like, yeah, remember last time you were here and how fucked up your stocks get? (laughs) 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 But um, yeah, they were talking about the, the, um, not interstellar, but interplanet um, life and things like that. I, I just... I mean, it's just such an interesting thing to think that we're human beings on planet Earth and we're just now learning more and more about the universe and, like, other planets. And, like, we just landed on Mars again with this robot and, like, all of these things. And then just to, like, I personally feel it's naive to think that, like, that's it. It's just us. We're just on planet Earth and that's that happens to be it. I I can't grasp the concept of thinking that that's it. So Mm -hmm. with that said, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I I feel like I'm not, I don't want to say ignorant to it, but I just feel like I just like, I don't know. I haven't explored that concept enough. And that's why I'm interested in, um, you know, Elon's work and then just this conversation in general. Um, Yeah. I just, at the very least, I don't think that human beings on planet earth are the only type of intellectual beings with ability to travel.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, I I think it's there's definitely a lot of really interesting kind of philosophical rabbit holes you can go down when you start thinking about life in other places in in the universe. But I think it's it's particularly interesting. I think it's just a really exciting time to be alive in that sense. That in the next decade we could we could land on Mars with humans. We could find. Uh, life, microbes on Mars in the next couple of years. It might not be verifiable for a while until Perseverance gets back. But once we do that, I feel like, you know, cat's out of the bag. Once we find life that is not of Earth and we have to grapple with the fact that uh, life is was not a single emergence in the universe, that it I wonder how much will change because, in theory, it changes everything, right? It changes the way we think about ourselves as conscious beings. It think, changes the way we think about our society and our aims and where we should put funding. But I wonder if some people still will not care, or that they'll still continue to live in kind of this small minded way, where like, sh- like, just for by comparison, there's still people who think like, oh, the dinosaurs weren't real um like that the bones were planted there uh some sort of a conspiracy theory like there's still these ideas that even when we make these broad discoveries that force us to like question our place in the universe and acknowledge that it's just so much bigger than us and there's i mean i think literally two trillion known galaxies now in the universe with you know probably millions of, of solar systems within each galaxy and even in just in the Milky Way. Because if we find life on Mars and we figure out that there are two planets in a single solar system that had emergent life, that just changes everything about how we think about life in the rest of the universe. Um, So, I mean, I, I just think it's super exciting. And I'm hopeful that if we do, that people will get a little more excited about it and have a little bit kind of broader, more long-term thinking about what it takes for humanity to survive and to to continue on. But it's it's definitely tough as we kind of started this conversation. We have so many problems here that we're not addressing well. And so it's there's always going to be that argument to not waste, once again, air quotes that no one can see, waste money on uh, exploring space and Solving gravity when we we can't keep the power on, when we can't put food in people's mouths, when we can't, you know, come together during a global pandemic, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to figure out how we'll get there. But I'm definitely hopeful that we can, that Mars will be this first step in, in our intergalactic uh, exploration, if, if that's ever a thing.
1: Um, and, you know, we just started. I mean, we just discovered the internet. We're just starting to all talk to each other in a global sense. And we just started to really look into the stars in a really meaningful way. Like, have you guys, uh, you guys know about Oumuamua?
0: Uh, no, I'm not familiar. Oumuamua.
1: It was, uh, it first came, it was the first uh, extraterrestrial object that we identified that came from outside of our solar system. Um, the first, right? Uh, they calling it the first ever uh, how do we know that? Uh, it came from a trajectory that it it could. There's no way that it came from our solar system. The way that it came and then the speed that it had, it was actually going uh, faster than any rocket we can even send to it. So we couldn't send anything to it. Uh, and we caught it late. Uh, I think it came. It was partly visible in 2017, but we came to to see it like months later, or I think even years later. And by the time we saw it, it was already leaving us. It was almost like a visitor came for dinner. And by the time we realized there was something strange with the visitor, she was already walking out the door. That's what it felt mm-hmm. like. Uh, but that just speaks to our inability to really look at this stuff seriously. And then, so we're handicapped that way in terms of technology, right? And then when we do find it, uh, so when more was approaching, they're like, oh, it's a meteorite. Well, it's, it's a comet, right? A meteorite has, uh, I'm sorry, a comet has an ice uh, on the outside. So when it enters the uh, the solar system near sun it starts to heat up and then you get the tail it's a comet no tail it's a meteorite just a rock but the issue is more and more was coming first of all way faster than anything we were approached uh, from a trajectory like I said that uh, you know you can definitely plot it and see that it came from some other place but it was actually speeding up as it came across Earth uh, so but it didn't have the, the comet tail uh, that usually mm. just like a rocket, uh, it pushes fuel out on the reverse side, right? And it pushes the rocket the other way. So when the comet's losing that ice because uh, it's being melted by the sun, it pushes the rocket for uh, the comet forward and gives you that forward momentum. They tried to look uh, for a tail, no tail. So, But it wasn't acting like a meteorite either. Um, when they really looked closer into it, it was also changing its intensity and light. So... It, it would change it by tenfold, uh, so an intensity of 1 or an intensity of 10, right? When they plot it out, the best way you can plot it out, it was like a pancake. Uh, so it would be like flat, show surface, and then still, like this. Um, that's So they draw it out flat, like a flat circle almost, and it was really rotating like this. So you got something that has no obvious source of propulsion, yet it's moving faster. It's changing its light intensity by tenfold, so it's a lot. You can tell. Uh, By the light that we received from it, they can tell, like, it was maybe reddish in color. Um, And even then, all these things that don't line up, people just looked at it and said, well, it must be some meteorite or some rock that we don't know about. So I think there's two challenges, right? It's like, one, the technology is not good enough. And then even when we do find something, the the science community and people are reluctant to open their minds enough to, to ask the questions necessary to even figure out what that really is. Um, because it doesn't fit the narrative what we're used to so until like either we de- we develop way better technologies to show proof and more evidence but we also have to be willing to ask the necessary questions like you know is emitting a radio signal just to, to say hey that might be an alien out there let's 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 do the tests and spend the time and money necessary to figure that out there's barriers to that you know yeah, we have other stuff going on we can't really do that so it, it's almost impossible to really find life outside of here uh with these limitations that we have i think till so we really open up that lane and open up uh yeah that kind of like curiosity it will be hard for us to find anything mm-hmm. so we limit ourselves too and we're just getting started
0: right yeah I mean, I, I think kind of on a final note there it's it's one of those things that uh, I guess coincidentally relates back to to psychedelics that even just having this mindset of if there is a broader truth out there, if there is something to be known that would fundamentally change the way that we think about our our place and purpose in in this world and in this universe, and that would be just absolutely fundamentally important to the future of the species is that something that we can say it's worth taking some risks it's worth spending some money it's worth maybe potentially you know pulling away from some other things and neglecting other very real tangible problems it's it's difficult and there's trade-offs but being able to say if 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 there is other life to be known if there are other planets where we could live if it is an option for us to be able to be an interplanetary species that that is something that we ought to explore at base uh, i think as long as we have enough people that have that perspective i think it'll be a matter of time but that's yet to be seen and, and who really knows what the future holds so i think I think one day we'll have the capacity. And in many ways, I know we're very far away from, from very serious interplanetary or even intergalactic travel, but I think it's just an exciting time to see some progress being made and to see NASA still getting more funding and SpaceX doing what it's doing and uh, just more and more general public support towards figuring out answers to these bigger questions and and just having, as we've all spoke to, a curiosity about what is really out there and and what is really true.
1: And sometimes I think too, like, I mean, trying to find out what's really out there, what's really true. Is it that if we, if we've never really made contact with any aliens or anything, is it that we're in the beginning? Is it that we're the beginning of it, of that evolution? You know, is it that It hasn't happened yet. Life is just that statistically uh, significant, like that impossible that we're just getting started or are we at the back end in some backwater that nobody has been able to visit us yet? You know, I feel like all these questions are so interesting. Um, It's not necessarily that we're just coming in midway. It could be that we are the start, you know, that life is just that hard. I think people, I think it's important to just have open-mindedness on everything until we find out evidence on it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I think the biggest point that you guys just spoke to without directly saying it that would answer all these questions or maybe it would ha- <clears throat> help answer these questions is getting more people to believe in science. Yep. I think that's one of the biggest challenges I've come across. People that don't believe in science to whatever capacity that means to them. Meanwhile, they're using their iPhones <laughs> and saying they don't <laughs> believe in science. Just yeah. kind of mind boggling to me. But that's one of the challenges I see is just reaching more people. Because then maybe if people understood that science is real, then they'd be curious of these questions as well. They'd be like, oh yeah, maybe we should take some resources and put them to getting these questions because maybe that could save the the human race moving forward (laughs) or just see what life's like outside of the earth.
1: Yeah, very true.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was intentional, but even quite literally, like the, the camera on your iPhone, that's... That's essentially the work of NASA. Um, uh, they've they've made an incredible amount of of discoveries and, and innovations and inventions just from their from their work. And I think a lot of times that gets a little bit lost on people. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a great a great one to end on. And hopefully, we can just continue to push forward on this external front of of science and exploration, but also just the overall collective consciousness of, of the internal and people feeling more empowered and interested in, in getting to know themselves and their minds and their psyches a little bit better. Um, I think if we can keep pushing on those two fronts, we'll, we'll end up in a decent place, even, even despite all of the challenges we face now. Um, but yeah, Josh, Kevin, I, I really appreciate y'all coming back on It's, it's been a blast so far and I think we should try to make a habit of it and do this a little more often. Oh yeah. Yeah,
2: I agree. I think these kinds of conversations are not only going to be able to help people relate and connect the dots for some people going through things they're going through, but it's going to help push the narrative of open-mindedness and looking within and um, being able to make that more of a common mindset for a lot of people that I can see bring a lot of value to anyone in their life.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you guys too. That wasn't clear. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you guys too, man. Thanks for inviting me back, Brandon. Josh, thanks for spending some time with us, man. I think times like this when we have this cyber fireplace, when we get together and because I miss the kinetic energy of just bumping into people, you know, with COVID and the restrictions and having these just random conversations that might enlighten you and change your day. So anytime you get to sit around with friends and buddies and just, have a conversation about life and enjoy life together. It's always a good thing, right? So looking forward to the next time.
0: For sure. Yeah. Anytime.